Hello and welcome to the back page of Video Games Podcast. I'm Samuel Roberts and I'm joined as ever by Matthew Castle. Hello. Matthew, we're joined by another special guest. Rob, would you like to introduce yourself? Hello, I'm Rob Pearson. I am a host on PlayStation Access and a co-founder and company director of We Are Reach. We haven't had many people who are actual hosts come on before, so you're going to completely show up, me and Matthew, as we uh, sort of amateur hour our way around this joint. So, I doubt uh... it. I highly doubt it. I'm going to try my absolute best to, to not say um or like, which is my favourite filling word, and speak as clearly as possible. Well, it never stops Matthew, and we all, you know, we, we cut them out diligently, so I think you'll be okay. How's it going, Rob? Are you well? I am very well, thank you, yes. Okay, good stuff. So... Matthew, got a whole epic plan here. You've been putting the, the plan together for this one, Matthew. So we're going yeah. to talk to Rob in the first half about um, about him and his uh, his amazing career. And then in the second half, we're going to get a bit more into the nitty gritty of how you make YouTube content, uh, like compelling YouTube content. So I'm excited to discuss that. <laughs> Ooh, we get... got, I got upgraded from YouTube content <laughs> to compelling YouTube content. <laughs> Just uh, keeping the listeners engaged, Matthew, doing what I can. So um, yeah, Rob, excited to have you on because I think you, you share a lot of our sensibilities in terms of the games you like. So yes. excited to to dip into some of that stuff i've, I've been chain watching your videos this week so uh yeah, oh. you're very much you're very much living in my head at the moment so that's um that's fun um but i was curious what you, what's your personal history with video games do you remember the first video game or console you really clicked with i've always been obsessed with video games since i even since before i even bought a console or had a console bought for me i remember the first time i remember begging my parents for a playstation a games console uh, and the first thing they actually bought was a, a pc because they were like, well, you know, I know you want a games console, but this is going to help you with your schoolwork as well. So I had to make do with a PC. But I did have some really good games on that PC. And those were the first video games I can remember owning and playing really obsessively. So it was, you know, it was a, it was a rubbish PC. It was like a Pentium 2 processor. This is the kind of power we're talking about. Uh, <laughs> but the games I had on there were G Police, which mm. I thought was absolutely amazing. I was rubbish at it and can never get past the second or third level but that didn't really stop me just enjoying flying around this amazing cyberpunk world like it was so huge and, and beautiful at the time i remember and just firing homing rockets at civilians that was all i could do like i wasn't i wasn't good enough to actually you're meant to be the g police that yeah i know the role I was, of the g police i was supposed to be i was supposed to be shooting down criminals but i just i was so bad at the game that i found a lot of enjoyment just flying around shooting other flying cars who were completely innocent but i absolutely loved that game another game i played was jazz jackrabbit I don't know if any of you are aware of Jazz Jackrabbit, but uh, it was yeah. like a, it was like a platform game. I think Cliff Blazinski was involved in it in, yeah. in some degree. I loved that game, and I used to play all these games cooperatively with my sister. Not that they were actual co-op games; I to, they were single-player games. But we would share a keyboard. So in Jazz Jackrabbit, I would do the running around and the jumping, and she would just hold down spacebar to shoot, uh, <laughs> which was uh, you know it, at the time it was like the best thing ever. But the the game I really remember playing over and over again was the Oregon Trail, and just absolutely loving that you could name everyone in your party whatever you wanted to. So I named everyone after my school friends. Uh, nice. I used to find it absolutely hilarious when like halfway through you get a message saying, oh, Darren Escott has died of dysentery. And it was just, <laughs> <laughs> I just found that hilarious. And I loved the way when you played it again, you would discover the grave markers of your previous playthroughs. And I remember having my mind absolutely blown by that. So that was, <laughs> that was my first encounter of 
owning a machine that could play video games, but I was still absolutely desperate to own a games console. Uh, and it wasn't until I was, tw- I think it was my 12th birthday where my dad finally bought me a PlayStation uh, and it all sort of unraveled from there. But I, I remember being, I don't know why, like, cause no one in my family was, was like big into games. It wasn't like I had a culture at my school where loads of pe- people were enjoying and playing games. But for some reason, I just had a, a real longing in me to to play video games. I don't really know where it came from. Just I can't remember the, the the spark that initially captured my imagination. All I remember is being desperate to own a console, any kind of machine that could play video games. Mm. Yeah, forged in the uh, the streets of uh, the cyberpunk city of G Police. That's yeah. <laughs> uh, clearly where it came from. Okay, so for many people, you're closely associated with Metal Gear and Final Fantasy, and obviously those are more of a console concern. They're not exclusively. Can you talk about encountering those and why they mean so much? Where do you go after PC gaming, basically? Well, so I got my PlayStation when I was 12, uh, and that came with like a, a bunch of games bundled with it. So I had Actua Soccer Club in Edition, Independence Day, the game. Uh, <laughs> it was terrible i uh, had overboard which i think was actually pretty good it was a game where you controlled a pirate ship just going through some obstacles and shooting other pirate ships that was pretty cool but i was at secondary school by that time and one of my friends brought in a copy of official playstation magazine it was quite a famous issue it was issue 42 which i think to this day holds the record for the best-selling official playstation magazine issue ever i think that month it outsold fhm like something ridiculous like four hundred and fifty thousand copies sold that month and the the big review was metal gear solid and they had the opening warehouse section of metal gear solid on the playable demo disc and this magazine was like a it was like a holy grail in this classroom like everyone wanted it it did the rounds of the whole classroom everyone borrowed it for a a little bit of time and and got to play the demo and i remember getting obsessed with the magazine as well so that that was sort of like the birth of both my obsession with console games and also my obsession with video game media i i remember i must have read that magazine from cover to cover probably 20 times it's no exaggeration to say 20 times because my parents would never buy me video game magazines myself so I, i just had this one uh, and I didn't even own a PlayStation at this point either. I was just obsessively reading this this magazine, playing mm. that opening area of Metal Gear Solid. And then when I finally did did own a, a PlayStation, Metal Gear Solid was was a game I bought with with some of my birthday money, and that's sort of where it started. And Metal Gear Solid was a game that completely changed what I thought was possible from video games. The way it told its story, how inventive it was, all of the mad stuff it did with the the DualShock controller that even now these are these are, are gaming moments that are still talked about and revered now like Psychomantis mm. moving the DualShock controller having to figure out what Merrill's codec number was by finding it on the back of the CD case like that cryptic clue that Baker gives you and you're you're there looking around for ages in game trying to find out where this cd case is and then you realize there's an actual screenshot on the back of the box with the with the codec number on and i was so bowled over by all this i just couldn't believe what i was playing and it it got my dad really into it as well like he was quite a a cynic in terms of this kind of form of entertainment that he assumed i would just grow out of very quickly but it got to a stage Mm -hmm. where he would be watching me play metal gear solid as if he was watching a movie and he even said like towards the end 
like this is this is like watching a film this is in, incredible um and so metal gear solid holds quite a special place in my heart because it was a it was just a fantastic game and it did things that had never been done before but also it was just something i shared with my dad and i didn't really have that much in common with my dad so metal gear solid has been special to me because of that final fantasy again it was a game i think that i was introduced to by a friend who was again it was the ps1 demo disc they had like a a trailer for final fantasy 8 on it and they were like just yeah amazed by the visuals in this trailer and i remember thinking you know what what is this game what is this game and they were like oh it's final fantasy 8 it's the sequel to this oh you should play final fantasy 7 first though play that and then and then have a go on 8 and so i did i i, I got like a a platinum edition of final fantasy 7 you know i was i was big into fantasy literature at the time and so i was devouring stuff like the eye of the world like you know derivative tolkien fantasy fiction <laughs> and final fantasy 7 it felt to me like I was playing a fantasy novel. Like I really enjoyed how all of the... You had to read all of the text and the the sophistication of the story and the depth of the characters uh, and just how long it was. Again, it was, it was unlike anything I'd played. And I remember just thinking, wow, like video games can tell stories that are this long, this complex, this rich in, in character and world building. That was where my love affair with with both of those series started. Really, nothing too deep about it, other than I thought they yeah. were fantastic games that did things I'd never seen before, uh, and and continued to do so. You, you hadn't even seen any of those things in Independence Day, the video game. No, I saw very little in Independence Day, the video <laughs> game. I think I played it for about twenty minutes on my birthday. <laughs> did you even get to the alien invasion? Well, I think it started. It was you were just you were just in one of those fighter planes fighting underneath one of the big not the mothership oh. but the, you know the big city covering discs <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and it, i remember just finding it incredibly frustrating and dying lots and then playing act your soccer club edition that was sort of like the game i played repeatedly but yeah independence day the game can't recommend <laughs> i remember that metal gear solid issue because it was you know very a very iconic image the shinkara on the on the front yeah. cover and that demo just working out how the mechanics in metal gear work bit by bit like oh you can choke a guy and all this stuff yeah. and basically treating that one opening hallway like an entire sandbox for you to figure out exactly how all these stealth systems work it was yeah even just that tiny bit of the game was um there was so much in it there yeah. was that little puddle i remember being a mate you stand <laughs> in the puddle and the guards turn around and like oh, what the hell was that noise and mm. to me that was mind-blowing the guards could hear me standing in the puddle and then you have like wet footprints that you leave behind amazing yeah. like it's so good and the way the camera swiveled around when you pushed up against a bit of the scenery to give you a cinematic angle down the corridor i liked doing that just because i felt like i was directing my own mini stealth movie so i had a set route <laughs> i'd go around that warehouse section where i would do it slowly and carefully and just try and make it look cool I wasn't happy unless I'd done it really perfectly. I, I hated just running around. I had to push up against the walls and shuffle along and get the cool camera rank. Oh, amazing. Like, so the much. Kojima's dream player. <laughs> yeah. Well, it was, there was so much just, just in that one bit of the game. And that's before you even get to the more iconic outside the base with the, with the spotlights and the, the footprints in the snow. Yeah. It was so good. Did the um was the Final Fantasy VIII issue of OPM the one that had the playable demo a big deal for you, Rob? Because that demo is a big deal for me. The uh, it's like the Dolit Beach section. Basically, they have like all of that, including the big spider robot. So I think 
I don't yeah. I don't remember actually playing that. No, I think that might have been what my friends were playing. Because mm. I remember it was my friend Darren who died of dysentery in the Oregon Trail. Uh, <laughs> yeah, he was, <laughs> yeah, he yeah, was. He my was, condolences. <laughs> he was playing. He was playing it, and I remember I used to go around his house religiously because, you know, he, he used to get bought quite a lot, uh, way more games than I did. So I was regularly around his house just watching him play stuff. And he and his brothers were big into this Final Fantasy VIII thing on the, on the demo disc. So I was, you know, asking. I'd never seen a game like it. I didn't quite understand what I was looking at. They were just standing around, taking it in turns to hit like a big plant. I was like, what, what's this? <laughs> um, but they were telling me how amazing it was and that I should play Final Fantasy VII first. So I didn't actually play that playable demo of Final Fantasy VIII. And by the time I'd finished VII, VIII was out fully. So mm. that was the next thing I went for. Um so I, I never experienced the thrill of of that playable demo dropping, at least not myself. I watched other people being thrilled by it. Mm. Speaking of Darren and his dysentery, <laughs> were you a um, when you did finally play Final Fantasy, were you original names only or did you rename uh, people? We, no. have, we have a very famous uh, friend of Sam's who is the hero of Final Fantasy VII called Andrew. So, <laughs> no. Yeah. And it, he called his friend. He called Barrett Daniel in the game, oh, and it was no. very. It didn't quite feel right. You know what I mean? I, no, I, I'm always original names only. Like okay. I, I feel like in Final Fantasy, I, I want to be told a story, and I want to play as those characters. I don't want to. It's it's not like it's not like a, a Skyrim where you're where you're crafting your character and you can name yeah, them what yeah. you want to name. I I want to be. I want to play as Cloud. I don't want to play as Rob. <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah. I want I want to be cloud strife so no i've always been original names okay the, the sort of implicit self-confidence of suggesting that squall is called samuel just wasn't something that washed <laughs> with me i was like i know i'm not as cool as this guy i know i look worse, wouldn't look as good in this jacket as this guy it's a no from me so, uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah okay so we've just recorded an episode about gaming in 2001 rob that brought up some fun cultural memories do you remember your gaming life in 2001 I do very specifically because that was the year that Final Fantasy IX came out in the UK. You will soon learn about me that I have a very narrow <laughs> library of games that I've actually enjoyed. And I, I listened to that episode and listened to you listing all of those games that you'd enjoyed in 2001 and thinking, man, I played very little in comparison. Like if I was naming my top 10 in 2001, it would probably be the 10 games I played in 2001. But Final Fantasy IX came out in February of 2001 in the UK. And I remember that because it's honestly the most excited I've ever been for anything in my life. Like, so, <laughs> so excited about it. I'd just turned 14 at the time, so I didn't have my own spending power. I didn't have a job or anything at that stage. So the only time I was getting games was on my birthday, which is in December. So I remember making a deal with my dad in December of 2000 saying, look, what if you don't buy me a birthday present this year and instead in february in two months time you buy me final fantasy 9 when it comes out and he agreed to that it's a great bargain it was i remember going down to electronics boutique with my dad on launch day and walking in and seeing this wall of white and gold where all the new copies of final fantasy 9 were lined up and it was like you could hear you could hear the angels choir singing i could hear that in my head it's such a memory of seeing it amazingly exciting time and my dad sort of grabbed a copy and mockingly sort of held it aloft like he'd just taken the sword out of the stone uh <laughs> so so good and it was half term that week as well so i just had a solid week of being at oh, home wow. in my bedroom playing final fantasy 9 probably one of the best weeks of my entire life that so <laughs> <laughs> so good i barely came out of my room
that was mainly my gaming life in 2001. Also, I remember in 2001 desperately, desperately wanting a PS2 because that was the year that PS2 came out as well. And also Final Fantasy X and Metal Gear Solid 2 both came out in 2001. But I didn't play either of those games until 2002 because I didn't get Mm. a PS2 until then. So it was a year of repeatedly playing Final Fantasy IX and then going back and playing eight and seven, which is probably, I played those three games basically on rotation, on repeat for years, um, <laughs> and wishing uh, wishing that I could have a PS2. Uh, Darren got one, obviously. So he was there Ugh. playing Final Fantasy X, uh, playing Metal Gear Solid 2. Uh, so I discovered, I discovered all about Raiden and, and all of that, just going around to his house and seeing him controlling this uh. weird blonde cartwheeling dude. I was like, who's this? I was like, yeah, it's Raiden. <laughs> You don't play a snake. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so all, that kind of shock was uh, was uh, stolen from me. So yeah, that that was my 2001. I did eventually get a PS2 for my 16th birthday in December of 2002, and then I caught up on all of this stuff. But yeah, that's that's sort of all I remember. I, I certainly don't remember the many games you went you discussed in in, in the previous episode. Oh, there's a bit of bodging that goes on between stuff we played at the time and things we played since then that came out that year. Right. So it's not it's not a true representation yeah. of what I was doing in 2001. If I'm being honest, it's <laughs> yeah, it's a bit. Yeah. There's like probably three games I played at the time, and then yeah, seven games that I've played since then. So uh, yeah, it's a lie. The podcast is a lie. I I played Perfect Dark and Conquer. That's yeah. it. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I did in 2001. That's perfectly on brand for you, Matthew. So uh, I think that works. I, I remember though, Rob. I, I was in the same boat. Like every. Final Fantasy being released here was a huge deal because you always had to wait for them to localize it for Europe. Yes. So it took like three months. And so I remember like I remember Ten Two being a big deal when that launched in two thousand four and it went out came out in O three in the US. And I remember the same happening with um uh, Final Fantasy twelve in O seven as well, which yeah. launched a year earlier. Like it was kind of agony. And I was very guilty of going deep into internet forums to find out what happens in the game because I just could not wait any longer. I'd exhausted the few materials <laughs> I had, um, you know, to learn about these things. So, yeah, I remember that being a huge, um, huge deal as well. Yeah, I remember just obsessively reading any preview in any magazine that had any info on Final Fantasy IX. Mm. And obviously they, they reviewed, the, I guess they reviewed an import copy quite a lot of these magazines. But it was you know, almost physically painful knowing that there were people in the world playing final fantasy 9 and i had to wait like you know six months for it mm. so uh, video coverage didn't really exist um for most of our formative years we're all around the same age so uh, you mentioned that opm was a huge deal for you yeah um, rob what else was important for you on the games media side growing up i i was obsessed with any and all like i just read so much psm2 was like my favorite magazine uh, i mm-hmm. i distinctly remember issue one with the Metal Gear Solid 2 VHS on the front, which had that obscenely long trailer from E3. Uh, but, wow. I think to this day, that's probably my favourite video game trailer of all time. I, I watched that VHS so many times, to the extent where, you know, it actually got damaged, because I was just rewinding <laughs> it so much. Uh, I remember afterwards... After the Metal Gear Solid 2 trailer had finished on that VHS, it was like uh, International Track and Field or something. And I remember the first <laughs> few frames of that International Track and Field trailer vividly because that was the point at which I pressed rewind every time <laughs> to go back and watch those nine glorious minutes of Metal Gear Solid 2. But that magazine kicked off my love affair with uh, PSM2 magazine. Um, and 
so yeah i i your your episode where you had dan dawkins come on i i found incredibly interesting listening to all of his stories from that time because for me on the outside i absolutely loved what they built with that magazine and he talked a lot about trying to foster this culture of i think he called it club and community and i as a reader you really felt that you really felt like you were part of this knowing group of people who were so into games and i i I read that magazine like so obsessively uh and wanted you know it was my dream at the time like all i ever wanted to do was be a games writer on a video games magazine i remember writing into psm2 when i was 18 just before i went to university asking what's the best way about getting a job on psm2 magazine and they printed it in in the magazine i remember the the thrill of seeing my letter published in in psm2 and like running downstairs to show my mum look it's in the it's in the magazine there's my name like i saw my name in print and i still i still remember like the the adrenaline spike that that caused and it was around about that time i think that that andy kelly and nathan irvine joined the magazine as like fresh-faced 17 and 18 year olds so they're a similar age to me i remember being so so jealous and thinking like (laughs) oh i've missed my chance they've just hired like a 17 year old and 18 year old and now i'm off to university to study film it's never going to happen for me uh but i always had like a real sort of deep deep longing um to work on one of these mags but yeah uh psm2 official playstation magazine games master mainly if if it had a if it had like something if i had a final fantasy game on the cover or a metal gear game or something that i was into i would buy it um but i would try and buy as many psm2s as i could i used to get like one pound every couple of days from my mum it was supposed to be to buy some sweets on the way home from school but i used to just save it up and and use that money to buy like psm2 every month uh so yeah like massively into games mags desperately wanted to be a writer on one not to jump too far ahead what was it like when you eventually got to future and saw like the people you'd you'd read growing up amazing i remember dan talking about that as well and i found it really interesting listening to his experience and and pointing out all of all of the people he knew and admired because it was exactly the same for me i remember my first the first time i went into that office in in future was when i did some work experience in 2010 so i was there for two weeks and it was like Disneyland. And we all sort of joke about that office now as being like a bit a bit run down and the floor was filthy and there was there was stuff all over the place. But to, I thought it was absolutely amazing. I was again, I was there like, oh, my God, there's PSM2. Oh, there's Dan Dawkins. Oh, my God, that's Andy Kelly. Uh, and, and then on OPM, like, you know, seeing Ben Wilson and Leon Hurley and Rachel Weber and everyone and thinking like, this is unbelievable. It's like being in a dream. Like it was, it's the most starstruck I've ever been. Um, you know, <laughs> it's the it, Mickey Mouse of future. Who's like, holy shit, it's Mickey Mouse. I think, to be honest, I have to say Dan Dawkins. I've, you know, I'm, it's embarrassing <laughs> to say I've never actually said this to his face, but he was always like my my games media hero because he was there right. from from like issue one of of PSM two. Like his picture was in the mag. The amount of times I'd seen his picture in that magazine and seen his byline, uh, and he he obviously loved Metal Gear as well and reading anything that he'd written about metal gear was like amazing so i remember seeing him there and you know never i you know i was very shy so i never had the courage to actually go up and say hello to any of these people unless i was actually introduced to them um Mm. but i remember you know looking over at edge as well and and seeing people like rich stanton there like even to this day rich stanton i don't think i've ever really properly spoken to just because i'm too intimidated by 
his <laughs> reputation and intelligence. Uh, but um, yeah, just all of these people whose work I'd loved and admired, seeing them all there actually doing the thing. It was mm. absolutely amazing. It was like, you know, it felt like I'd won a prize. Like, it, you know, it's incredible um, the excitement mm. of being there and, and getting to write little roundup reviews that then went in OPM uh, and seeing seeing my name in print under something I'd written uh, after doing that work experience. Uh, I, th- I think I've still got that that copy of OPM from the one, from when I did work experience back home. Like it's so so exciting. So I suppose that that probably is a good transition point to talk about. How did you get your job at Future? What were you doing beforehand, and what led you to um, to work in in games media? Uh, so I was working in um, TV at the time. I did I studied film and TV at uni. Got a job soon after graduating as a, a runner in a post production facility in London. And uh, this was in two thousand and eight. Uh, I only lasted five months there because the credit crunch happened and they just I think they just invested about half a million pounds like expanding their office and getting all these new edit suites and facilities in and their their sort of main contract was for an ITV show called 60 Minute Makeover and that got pulled in back into ITV they took it back in house and so they just they just invested about half a million pounds and all of a sudden they had no clients uh so I was made redundant after five months working there age 21 like a real sort of reality check uh and then about six to eight weeks after that I got another job as an edit assistant at this channel called Wedding TV which was not great I I did not enjoy my time there really great people as as is often the case like great people but the the people who ran it the less said about them the better really i really was not enjoying my time there i was making like so little money that i was actually losing money every month just just living in london like the, right. my my wage compared to the outgoings on rent and bills meant i was in negative money and spending all day watching people have very opulent weddings <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah exactly there was like i had to edit videos of people going on honeymoon to the Maldives uh yeah it was yeah I hated it uh and it got to a point where I decided like well in fact it was when Final Fantasy 13 came out that was like the the catalyst for it um because I took a week off work when that came out I was super excited about it didn't enjoy the game and decided (laughs) right I'm gonna because I remember I still remembered the advice that PSM2 had written as a reply to my letter like back when I was 18 and their reply was you know, you don't need to go to university to get a job in a games mag. Just write some reviews, send them in to us. And if they're as funny as the reviews you read in the mag, then we'll give you a job. And I was like, OK, let's try it. Uh, and so, <laughs> so I'm going to try this. Uh, I wrote a review of Final Fantasy 13. Um, I wanted to make an effort with it because I figured like loads of people are going to be sending in reviews to, to work on these mags. Like everyone wants to wants to write about games for a living. Uh, so I decided to try and make mine a bit special. And I had my my wife then girlfriend who was working as a graphic designer at the time create like a a mini magazine for me and so we designed a front cover for it i did like a meet the editor page which i tried to (laughs) i had my wife copy the exact style of opm so i had a little picture of my face in a circle with just a bunch of stuff about me and i i did a review of final fantasy 13 uncharted 2 and fifa 10 i think and put them in this little magazine and the cover mount was a kit kat i put a kit kat on the front of each magazine <laughs> and the magazine was called give me a break magazine and i thought this is at the very least they have to at least reply and say thanks for the kit kat uh, so <laughs> i sent this in 
Um, I think I sent it in. I sent a copy into Dan Dawkins, who never replied. Oh. Uh, but also... <laughs> <laughs> which which broke my heart. But official PlayStation magazine did reply. It was actually Nathan Dytum who replied to me. He was reviews editor on the magazine at the time. And he was like, yeah, you can write. Would you like to come in and do some work experience? And so that's how I ended up getting my work experience. Uh, and I think because first player just started at that time as well, the fact that I could video edit, I had video editing experience was was quite attractive as well someone who could write and video edit let, let's see let's see how they do that's how I got my work experience and after doing my work experience it was just a case of me badgering and badgering and badgering anyone who would listen to me it ended up being Andy Hartup on PSN3 magazine uh, and Leon Hurley on official PlayStation just please is there anything I can write for you any freelancer tool uh, and eventually I think Andy Hartup got so sick and tired of me emailing him every day that he gave me <laughs> Naughty Bear to review for, for PSM <laughs> 3 which I got paid £15 for it it was like a 160 paid 160 word review yeah. um, but my god I was so excited when I got that email like an actual not just work experience like an actual piece of real work like real yeah. video games work and that was the first bit of video games media work i ever did uh i remember really excitedly telling my wife like oh, i'm actually getting paid to write this review she's like oh how much are you getting paid for it i was like oh, 15 pounds <laughs> she sort of looked at me like that well well you, that's never going to be a career then is it and i was like well, you, you never know like you know, everything's got to start somewhere um She's like, you still owe me for that magazine I designed <laughs> yeah. for you, you bastard. Yeah. Well, I had to borrow money from my dad to get it printed. It cost £70 to get... I had five <laughs> copies of it printed. I didn't have 70 quid. I had to, I had to borrow that from my dad just to, just to get the thing printed. But yeah, that's, that's sort of where it started. And then it was just a case of me... You know, I, I made a promise to myself, like, I'm going to be the most reliable, uh, most hardworking freelancer ever. Like, I'm never going to miss a deadline. Anything they ask me to do, I'm just going to say yes. Like the majority of my freelance work in that first year was doing transcription work. And that was horrible. Uh, yeah. And I was saying, yes, yes, of course I'll do it. Uh, and I was regularly up until like six o'clock in the morning transcribing these hour long interviews because you had to just, you know, that, this was before the days of Otter AI where you could just shove a recording into a program and it could spit out exactly what you said and who said mm. it just literally writing down and some of the the audio quality on some of these was just abysmal god knows what they've been recording them on but i remember just rewinding back and forth through these questions and answers trying to discern what had been said and spending hours doing that transcription work but you know i was i was happy to do it because you know i i um, the freelance i was getting given was getting bigger and bigger instead of doing like 160 word reviews i was doing like a, a page review i remember doing my first double page spread that being like a massive deal um mm. and then eventually i um i was sent on a my first ever press trip to sweden to go and see the the world first reveal of battlefield 3 and i got mm. to write a four page feature in official playstation magazine for that and i remember thinking in my hilton hotel room at the time oh yeah i've made it i've made it i'm here in the hilton going to dice seeing battlefield 3 revealed to the world and i'm writing a four-page feature in official playstation magazine about it so it sort of just snowballed from that initial work experience and then it was around about the time that first play ended and playstation access rose from the ashes of first play but what i actually wanted was the staff writer job on official playstation magazine but it was meant to be because a few months later the staff writer position at official playstation magazine came up and that felt like 
it felt to me like this is this is the one like this is right this is the stars are aligning here like i've been freelancing for them for nearly a year now i know the magazine inside out like i'm, I'm a massive playstation fanboy this is that was the job i'd been waiting for and, and so I, I applied for it i got the interview and the the weeks after the interview was i remember it so vividly like the, the emotional turmoil i went through i wanted this so badly I felt like I was an X Factor contestant at the judges' houses, <laughs> waiting to be called in to find out whether or not I'd made the live shows or not. Uh, and I remember like daydreaming about getting the call from Ben Wilson, who was the editor at the time. And I played the scenario over in my head where he phoned me up and told me I got the job. And the elation I felt just from that daydream, like, and then I and then I sink back to reality and realise that I hadn't had the phone call yet. And it was like, oh, please, please, I. Um, and then and then I did get the phone call and I hadn't got the job uh, and it was like it felt like my world had come crashing down um, the person who did get the job is also a, a former a, a guest who's been on your podcast Louise Blaine uh, and I remember oh. thinking t- I remember thinking to myself who is this Louise Blaine <laughs> she's now my mortal enemy like <laughs> and as it turns out uh, Louise Blaine is like one of the most amazing, wonderful people I know and a person I'm very fortunate to call my friend. So it's funny how these kind of things happen. Um, but again, it wasn't meant to be. And like a couple of weeks after that, a scriptwriter position on PlayStation Access opened. And I didn't even have to interview for that. Like Nath just phoned me up and offered me the job. Um, so I'd, you know, I tried so hard three times before applying for positions and this one. It's obviously just you know meant to be, uh, and that's that's how I got on access, and I've been on access ever since. Wow, it's uh, yeah, it's, it's it's quite the thing. So uh, you um you worked on first play, which is what became access. So did I remember, right, what... or did I get that wrong? I did. I did first. I did some yeah. work experience on first play. Yeah. I did. Right, I right. worked on the worst rated episode of first play in its history. Sorry, this is what happens when I plan an episode. It's a bit chaotic. <laughs> I depended on your research. I did. I should have uh, audited Rob's uh, LinkedIn page more closely. Um, okay, so yeah, so something we always do with uh, guests who have a bit of a media background, Rob, is to talk a bit about uh, their their press trip times. You mentioned your um, fun excursion to the Hilton Hotel yes. and how you'd made it. We all had that moment. <laughs> I had that moment. I think it was in like a more upscale version of a travel lodge in windsor when i went to review the darkness on uh, ps3 so that was my i've made it moment but um what's the weirdest or wildest press trip you've been on oh man i don't think i've ever been on anything as as weird and wild as as dan dawkins mentioned like uh you being helicoptered up a glacier to go to a bar made of ice and then helicoptered back down to do a bungee jump all all for ISS Pro Evolution or whatever it was. Um, I think when I joined the industry, the the days of like the really elaborate press trips were were coming to an end. But I still got to go to some places where like I really sort of had to pinch myself. Uh, when Uncharted Three came out, I went to Jordan and we got taken to the Wadi Rum Desert, which is like an area. It's where Petra is, and it's where all like Lawrence of Arabia all of those stories are from and it was just amazing we did like a treasure hunt uh, there were there were there were people from the UK <laughs> there were people from various different countries who'd all won like an uncharted 3 multiplayer competition and their prize was to come to the desert in Jordan and do an actual treasure hunt uh, so i got driven round in a in a jeep around the desert for the day doing like well filming this this other guy do 
do tasks you know i got to ride a camel in the desert um it was you know a ridiculous place like one of the most incredible places i've ever been and it was just you know i was there for a video game and i, I kept on having to sort of pinch myself because of that you know i've <laughs> i've driven a mercedes on a frozen lake of power power sliding a mercedes around a frozen lake in the actual arctic uh through like a a sunset that lasted two hours because we were so far north that the sun wow. sort of dipped below the horizon and it stayed at that level of light for about two hours uh, for Project Cars 2. Uh, <laughs> uh, and I was like, this is like, this, I can't believe I'm here. Like, I don't deserve this. Like, none of us deserve this. That, that was always my thing. Like, you, you go into these really opulent hotels and there'd just be a bunch of games journos going in in their, in their hoodies and jeans, me included, thinking, you know, what are we what are we doing here all of this amazing yeah. stuff just for a video game but like I, lo- I obviously i loved it it was an amazing privilege to get to do all that stuff the craziest press trip though has to be going to japan to see metal gear solid 5 ground zeros and i got to go to the the bond villain lair that dan mentioned in his episode as well in nasu oh, wow. uh but and this this should have been like the press trip of a lifetime for me but i i got food poisoning uh on that press trip and it kicked in literally the second our coach left our hotel to battle the Tokyo rush hour traffic to get to Konami's HQ. <laughs> that was a very long 45 minutes for me. Uh, it was it was you know, it was bad. It got to, we got to the end of that coach ride. And I thought this is about to this is about to go really, really wrong. Like, I, I don't know if I can hold this any longer. Um, and Dave Jackson was sitting next to me. I was like, Dave. I've got, I've got to find a toilet, like, now. Like, actually now. I remember just grabbing the PR. As, as soon as we got off the coach, I just grabbed the PR. I was like, I need to find a bathroom now. And he was like, okay, well, sure. We'll just get everyone off the coach. And, and I just grabbed it. Now. Literally now. And he sort of, like, looked at me like, okay. And he sort of mentioned, he motioned to, a, to the other PR rep. Can you just, um, you just look after the guy? So I'm just going to take rob to the and i sort of like half jogged half sprinted uh it was not how i am envisaged arriving at um kojima productions hq in in konami sort of sprinting across the foyer diving into the bathroom at the back of the foyer and and yeah and then it was all right after that for the day and then and then after that we went to the bond villain lair in nasu and that's when the food poisoning kicked in proper i spent the majority of that trip I was either on the toilet or I was in my bed in one of those <laughs> two things. I played a little bit of Metal Gear Solid 5 Ground Zeroes. In fact, I think Hideo Kojima tweeted a picture of all the journalists playing the game for the first time. And you can see me in the background sort of like slumped down, looking very pale and like I'm absolutely having the worst time ever. Um, which was obviously, if I hadn't had food poisoning, it would have been the the greatest press trip of all time. And you know, to this day, I'm very sad that it was ruined for me like that um but i still i i I did an interview with hideo kojima and with yoji shinkawa on that trip and dave had to sort of set the camera up i was in the toilet and he messaged me when everything was ready so i sort of i dashed out did the interview and then immediately went back into the bathroom um which is not you probably love that that's got like big johnny it does i was gonna say johnny sasaki comes to mind i I wish i wish i'd have actually i do regret not telling him because he probably would have found it funny it is very it is very johnny sasaki but yeah it was like thank you so much for your time kojima-san shinkawa-san bye (laughs) immediately (laughs) ran back into the bathroom and that that video that video's still on 
uh, PlayStation access to this day. So if you if you go and look up that interview, you can see me with food poisoning interviewing <laughs> Hideo Kojima and, and Yogi Shinkawa. So for all the wrong reasons, that's probably the press trip that sticks in my mind the most. Because uh, it, should, it should have been incredible and it was apart from the fact that i was incredibly ill it's funny well, the, the way you start describing that project cars to press trip had the sort of vibe of um rutger hour i've seen things you people wouldn't believe then ended <laughs> with you having food poisoning in front of hideo kojima so i like the we had the full arc there of like triumph down to like you know well, that, the worst of the worst that project so, yeah. cars press trip was was mad like it wasn't just the the ice driving we then went and did like a, a survival camp in the snow where we had to go and find things basically to survive because they they namco were showing like a bunch of games it was like a namco showcase um so they had a bunch of activities to do and another thing i remember is they just every meal was was reindeer they just served reindeer for it was reindeer bolognese um just reindeer burgers that was all they ate out there. Um, <laughs> it was just reindeer for every meal, uh, and that was that was before I stopped eating meat. So I, I ate lots of reindeer. But anyone who was a vegetarian on that trip, I don't know what they ate. Just just some salad and potatoes, I think. Uh, but yeah, that that was a crazy trip. But you know, amazing. Yeah, it's like if you want to get to the Naruto demo unit, you have to snowboard down this mountain, <laughs> and it's like a <laughs> bold, bold press trip. Have you, um, um, uh, Trosk, have you ever been to any of the big first-party Sony studios? Or I don't know if you ever get the chance to do that, really. No, no, they're like, they're like top secret. Uh, so yeah. no, I, I, you know, it'd be still like a dream to visit like a Naughty Dog or an, or an Insomniac or a Sony Santa mm. Monica. Uh, but no, I've I've never been to to any of those. You know, typically they'll they'll hold their their press events at like a, a venue. Would absolutely love to be able to go to to one of those one day. So, what's E three or Gamescom like as a a video person who's part of an official PlayStation thing? Do you feel like you've seen the real E three as a result? The fact that E three is 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 no longer a thing does make me sad because there, it was always it was always my favorite time of the year. Like it's a it's a really full on week. You have to work incredibly hard everyone who who has done an e3 will will probably have their their own sort of like horror stories from from doing it but i i loved the the buzz of feeling like i was on you know the the cutting edge of video games i was i was where it was happening like all of these announcements were going on and i remember i remember being in the audience for that playstation conference where they revealed god of war for the first time and they had like a live orchestra playing the the god of war music none of us knew it was the god of war theme tune at the time until they revealed the game uh mm. that was an incredible conference i remember coming out of that and and saying i would have i would have paid i would have paid for a ticket to watch that it was like watching <laughs> it was like watching it was theater it was incredible yeah so so exciting of being a part of those things in 2018 as well uh, i got to host some some live streams from the playstation stage which was another sort of like pinch me moment. Uh, I got to present like a, a section on Days Gone, so it, it was me on stage. <laughs> the dream with, with well, it, to me it was like this was amazing. Yes, yeah. uh, I was I was hosting that section and I was like a, a a guest on the sofa for the first Spider-Man game that they were showing and Ghost of Ooh. Tsushima as well. I remember asking uh, Nate Fox some questions about his like movie inspiration, samurai movie inspirations for Ghost of Tsushima. They had like a wardrobe. 
I, I had I got to choose clothes from a wardrobe to, to go to go on the stage and I had makeup done as well. It didn't take very long, but I had like, you know, powder put on my face to stop me looking shiny on stage. I had my eyebrows filled in. It was really? yeah, it was <laughs> it was amazing. Um and yeah, I when you say like the real E three, that sort of that kind of experience, I think I don't know if you if you would class that as the real E three for for like a someone who works in games media um because i've mm. you know i've done i've done what i would consider to be the real e3 which is 12 to 16 hour days running around between appointments on the on the show floor going mm. back to our hotel afterwards to sort of like edit the videos together sending them over to the uk and then overnight someone else in the uk would would prep the videos and and get them ready to go live on the channel and by the end of it we sort of had it down to a fine art and we'd make like 40 videos in 3 days which seems like madness now but it was mm. it was it was mega exciting I, I i used to love it like so so tiring but i used to absolutely relish it i used to love going to the conferences you know that was that was the that was the big event like like nothing beats that in my opinion like sitting in like an actual sports arena and having mm. this having the sony execs come on the stage um and these were like big personalities like everyone you know andrew house coming on the stage shuhei yashida the cheers when they used to come on it was it was like a you know it was held in a in the sports a sports memorial arena i think in in los angeles and it felt like a sporting event like it had that sort of atmosphere that crackle in mm. the air the, the the cheers when when big stuff was revealed i remember being there for i think it was the same one as or maybe it was the one before when final fantasy 7 remake was revealed for the first time the cheer that went up in the in the auditorium after that got revealed it was like you know i've, I've watched really important football matches live before when goals have gone in it was that same kind of <gasps> that kind of rush of and that release of um excitement and emotion um mm. and uh you know I'm I'm sad. I'm I'm very grateful for the fact that I I got to experience those things, um, and I'm sad that sort of they seem to have you know largely gone away now. Um, but yeah, mm. like it was it was the highlight of my year for sure. You've interviewed Shuhei, right? Yeah, yeah. What's that experience like? Because often you interview someone about like a specific game, but when you've got someone who's just like has that kind of all-encompassing role or such a long kind of history with Sony, you know, how do you kind of get into that? Interviewing Shuhei Yoshida in particular was one of the easiest interviews I've ever done because Mm. he's so uh, infectiously enthusiastic and passionate about what he does. Mm. All you have to do is is point him in a certain direction and he will just talk and talk and talk. You know, I absolutely loved interviewing him. I interviewed him quite recently uh, for 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 the Access podcast. And yeah, he's he's amazing to interview. Like he's been there from the beginning, um, has all these amazing stories. Uh, worked on games that I've absolutely adored as a child. Like one of them, The Legend of Dragoon, is a game that I remember very fondly from my childhood. And he was a producer on that, so I I loved getting to to speak to him about that. And the fact that he remembers that game and remembers clearly working on it and was happy to speak to me about it as well. You always go into these interviews with these big names. And there's a degree of nervousness when you go in. There's you know, they, they come with big reputations. These people, and mm. obviously, there's you. You want to make a good impression. You want to ask intelligent questions, interesting questions, because I imagine these these people must get asked the same questions all the time. So you want to you want to be trying to make sure the things that you're asking are actually things that they are interested in in talking about. But with with Shuhei Yoshida, as soon as he came in the room, he was he was smiling, like you know, greeted me warmly as if he knew me. 
which was, you know, and well, I've been a big I, fan I, of the Friday features. Well, <laughs> no, he, you know, he'd never met He's me like, before. When are you going to do Friday features again? <laughs> you're like, oh, come on, not you, man. <laughs> but no, he was, he was just he immediately put you at ease and was a real sort of pleasure to speak to. Uh, I think, you know, I've, I've not, I don't think I've interviewed any of the, like, um, I think I may have been present during an interview with Jim Ryan at an E3 before, uh, but I wasn't right. actually asking the questions. I think I was probably either doing the sound or behind the camera. It's always a nerve wracking um, interviewing people of, of that sort of caliber. And I guess mm. here you put Hideo Kojima in there as well. I've been lucky enough to interview him on three separate occasions now. Um, mm. But always, you know, when, when you get through it, like they're, they're so they're so knowledgeable and so mm. passionate about the thing they're they're working on that you don't really have to do too much work all you have to do is you know keep them going feed them a little bit more and and they will <laughs> they will do all the work for you so uh, to jump forward a little bit uh, it would be cool to talk about reach and how your job has changed over time rob so how did reach emerge and uh, you know where because obviously like um playstation access was a future concern at, at one point but like how has your your work changed um within that over time so after the future uh we we joined the yogs cast which is where the playstation access contract was based from 2013 until early 2017 i remember joining the yogs cast and thinking it was like how our ticket to to subscriber land immediately like as soon as we get there we're just gonna get millions of subscribers i remember you know all of the yogs cast channels just had an obscene amount of subscribers uh that wasn't the case you know it was still it was still just the three of us making playstation access we were just making it at yogs cast instead of at future Uh, and i think it got to the stage where we we realized that you know we're just it's just us making this and we were so embedded in it then and we were you know we were the faces of the channel by that stage as well um i think it you know it gave us the the impetus to think you know we could we could probably do this on our own uh and and to be fair to yogscast they were sort of really gracious about it when we told them that's that's what we wanted to do and then we set up reach in in well we set it up in 2016 but it actually we started working properly in april of 2017 uh, initially it was just a way for us to continue making playstation access for as long as we possibly could and that's what we continue to do now we have various other things that we do and the company has expanded over the years we have 25 staff now we're working on various different projects like the the playstation is still like our our big client and the, and the thing that is the foundation of the company and that philosophy that we implemented on access is is something we try and make sure is present in all of the other work we do regardless of who it's for mm-hmm. but so sort of my role has as it hasn't like massively changed i guess it's it's become it's certainly become less of the day-to-day writing and hosting like we've we've got a new generation of hosts coming through now in in ash and rosie and and the idea is to you know as much as possible give them space to to you know for, for their voice to be heard um more than more than mine and dave's uh nath's obviously has stepped away from from hosting duties now so my role has slightly changed in that sense that i'm not that i'm you know i'm in more meetings now than <laughs> than than writing scripts and until ungodly hours is is less exciting but it's <laughs> it's challenging in in other ways like i'm you know i'm not i'm not naturally a a businessman so like I'm definitely out of my comfort zone in in various aspects of 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 my role as it is now, and sort of like you know look look jealously sometimes upon the people who are 
still involved with what I would consider to be the fun bit, which is playing games <laughs> and writing about games and making videos about games, which, to be fair, I still get to do a fair amount of. You know, I'm, I'm still in the video and I'm still doing live streams and I do as, as much writing as as I can, especially if a Final Fantasy game comes in. I would, you know, like Smaug with his pile of gold when, when a Final <laughs> Fantasy game comes in. No, that's mine. I will be taking this. Your best friends with um, Mr. Final Fantasy 16? <laughs> oh, with Ben, yeah, Ben Starr, my best friend, voice actor of uh, Clive Rossfield from Final Fantasy 16, yes. Uh, but no, he was, he's genuinely a, a lovely man um, who I would love to be my friend. Um, <laughs> and I am making a conscious effort to make him my friend. Um <laughs> He's obviously off. Uh, started very exciting things, but yeah, having him on the on the on the podcast was was amazing. But yeah, my job I don't think it has changed as much as you might think it would have done. And I, I still I still love to be involved in access as much as I can. That makes sense. At least three people this year have told me they're trying to become Ben Starr's best friend. <laughs> so that's like a, an ongoing well, project he... across the industry. I think. <laughs> I think he's um, you know, he's a good actor, Ben Starr, and so I think he likes me. But it could just—it <laughs> could, could just be a very one-sided thing. Like every time I message him, like, "Oh Ben, have you seen this? Do you want to? You want to help us?" <laughs> you know, he's always very receptive and very friendly. Um, but who who knows? He seems to be like a, a legitimate PlayStation no, I, Access no, fan. I think I think I think he is. I think I I don't think there's. To be clear, I don't think there is any falsity <laughs> there at all. I think he's <laughs> I think he's genuinely yes. I think he genuinely loves games. He certainly has a lot of knowledge about Final Fantasy and he loves Final Fantasy. So yeah, uh, a big fan of Ben Starr. <laughs> yeah. There is no ambiguity. He is my best friend, yes. just to be clear. <laughs> um I was curious actually, Rob, kind of along those lines, that do you find that games are able to capture your your imagination now as much as um they have in the past? I asked that because I've only had a few videos of I, I was watching one of your videos where you were playing Final Fantasy twelve instead of a pile of modern games you're supposed to be playing yeah. since when they did the Zodiac Age remaster. Is that like a common reflection of your current games experience? Or do you still find things that get under your skin in the same way? I guess less so and I often try I often wonder why that is um why why do we not get as excited by things as as we used to when we were kids but some things still do like Final Fantasy 7 Rebirth at the moment I remember when the when the re- recent trailer dropped for that and they they revealed that Vincent was in the game and you know all of the stuff they showed in that trailer was was fantastic and it it did sort of spike that kind of excitement that I remember feeling when Final Fantasy IX was was coming out, that sort of oh, that that just you know, there's there's all of the all of the games media analytical sort of brain melts away, and it's just it's just pure childlike hype for this thing that I can't wait mm-hmm. to play. And so yeah, absolutely, I think I think it happens less often for sure, and I'm sure that's true for for most of us. But it's absolutely, I think that sort of excitement and that and that love for games still exists in my in my crusty cynical adult heart but yeah when a game like final fantasy 7 rebirth comes along it's hard for me not to not to get massively excited about it it was very special being in the i was in the room when that state of play with or i don't think it was a state of play actually i think it was summer games fest maybe and hearing you and um some of the other people at Reach talking about, you know, just things that they recognised in Final Fantasy VII and everyone was really excited. That was the, I think on the podcast, I was joking about it afterwards, I came out where everyone was like, Bugenhagen, Bugenhagen. Yeah. And I was just like, I, what the fuck is that? 
<laughs> it's like when I can only liken it to when like a, a book you really, really love gets a film adaptation and you get to see how they've realized the characters that you've loved from the book. And uh, right. it's obviously a little bit different because Final Fantasy VII is its own game. But the, the, there are remakes and there are remakes. And I think the, the difference... The diff, the the gulf in quality between the visuals of Final Fantasy VII on PS One and Rebirth on PS Five is so vast compared to right. what you usually get with remakes. You're usually getting like HD remasters or remakes of games that have been on PS Three, and you know they're they're great when they come out, but you know really it's just a a more beautiful version of the same thing. Whereas with Final Fantasy VII, like this whole project, it's it's a complete it's a complete reimagine i don't think remakes the right word to be honest like it's a complete reimagining of, of that game and that story and so mm. there's for fans of it there's such a thrill in seeing characters like bugenhagen who i just know is like a floating orb with a face and a, a, a gray beard uh seeing him fully fleshed out seeing these locations fully fleshed out and it's you know it, it feels like being starstruck when you see it like it's it's so mm. fantastic, and they nailed it with with remakes so much, um, and and the way that game ended, the way it teased how the story could unfold, uh, and I think it's genius what they've done in that in that they've made it so that you don't know what's going to happen going on now. Like they've they've mm. opened the door to the possibility that things could change. So not only are you invested in terms of oh I can't wait to see all those iconic characters and scenes reimagined on on a on a scale I've never seen before, but also you're invested in in terms of like you know I, I genuinely don't know what's going to happen in in Rebirth, and that's mm. that's unbelievably exciting. But yeah, I think I think what they're doing with that is is so special. Like you know, I will mm. I will shout and scream every time I see a new trailer for that. Yeah, because it just hose you down with iconography yeah. and things that you remember. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it's pretty powerful. Um, okay, great. Well, let's take a quick break then, Rob, and we'll come back and talk a bit more about uh, the nitty-gritty of working on YouTube. Welcome back to the podcast. So, to kick us off, Rob, this is a super broad question, but we're interested in the development of your video style and voice. It's very, very particular, and uh, yeah, it's you know, it's over time you can tell you've really refined it and built up a persona, and it's uh, you know, it's a, a work of art itself, really. Print journalists have had years of magazine writers to ape, but video didn't really have that history when you came into it. Um, was what was your sort of point of inspiration for? developing your voice as a as you know as a video presenter and where, where did you kind of like take inspiration from well i think to start with i did take inspiration from the print media that i'd watched and it was certainly our intention to imbue playstation access with that same kind of club and community feel as, as dan dawkins put it you know we wanted people mm. to feel like they were part of this this community of people who all shared this passion for this thing uh but in terms of video there were there were a couple of examples at the time when i started access or certainly when i started doing the friday features initially the the inspirations were charlie brooker's screen wipe that was the thing that everyone was watching the sort of the camera angle the irreverent tone the way he would 
play around with whatever he'd been watching at the time and then and then it would come back to him on the sofa and he'd you know make a a wise crack about it that would always be it would always be perfect it would always be really pithy and sharp and really on point and i really liked the throwaway transitions between each section there was like a little it sounded like a remote buzz it was like a buzz that would happen between each section on screen wipe and i was like oh we i can do that and i did we did i had seven frames of bars and tone is is there is my version of that in the friday feature so after every section is and i i really like the i love the punctuation of that and i love i love sometimes just the shock and humor of feeling like you're halfway through a point or like you haven't fully made your point and all of a sudden, boop, that's that, that's over. You know, forget about that. We're on to the next thing now. And I, I loved sort of using that as as punctuation in, in gags and stuff. And I found like writing for video gives you so many more opportunities to be funny. Like being like the people who are funny in print, honestly, I, I take my hat off to them because it's so hard. I All I wanted was to be funny. I wanted so bad to be as funny as the writers who I'd read in, in gaming magazines growing up. And like to name a few names like Steve Williams on PSM at the time. Oh, yeah. I was absolutely howling with laughter reading some of the stuff he used to write. It's so, so funny. John Blythe was another one. And I mentioned John Blythe because one of the big inspirations for the Friday Features was his OXM Breakdown series, which was, it was him. I think it was Gav Murphy, obviously now of RKG fame. They made only 12 episodes, I think. So to me, it has like this almost Faulty Towers-esque status as this <laughs> this thing that was, it was just really unbelievably funny. Like so much funnier than, than anything else that was coming out of games media, particularly in terms of video at the time. And, and like you say, Sam, there wasn't, like, wasn't a huge amount of, of video that was being made in games media at that time. But this was so sharp. And the way he would, the way he would phrase things, the way he would like, just throw away and 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 discard and like you know stamp down on things that were bad obviously there was a certain tone that we couldn't couldn't do on playstation access but i really wanted to try and capture that that essence like the the way he would describe things i can't even sort of like give you an example because you know he was so good at doing it but he had that sort of almost like frankie boyle-esque ability to put a series of words together into a sequence that you would never think of doing but that when when he did it it just it was so well observed and so much funnier than anything i was watching and i remember thinking oh i would love i would just love to make anything that's even half as funny as this so that was like a massive inspiration for me as well also harry hill's tv burp weirdly like i i really enjoyed his persona that he had on that show and i really enjoyed how he whilst mocking the stuff also quite clearly loved the stuff as well and i really loved how harry hill in particular would 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 playfully interact with the tv shows he was featuring on it so you'd have like a clip from eastenders or coronation street or whatever it was it'd be a character making a phone call and it would cut back to harry hill in the studio and he'd be on the other end of the phone and you basically stitched together an entire new scene out of what had actually been on the mm. tv show and create this really funny um, new scene out of it and I, I really loved that sort of playfulness with the source material and so those initially were like my three touchstone inspirations like I, was, I wanted to make something that, that played with video games like Harry Hill played with the TV shows I wanted it to be as funny as what John Blythe was writing on OXM Breakdown and I wanted it to have that sort of like sharpness of a Charlie Brooker's screen wipe obviously three 
very big things to have as your inspirations. <laughs> um, and, uh, but you know, I, you know, I just, that, that was, that was what I wanted. I, I had a real sort of desperation to be, to make something that I, uh, if I could make someone laugh with what I was writing, that was like, you know, a massive bonus for me. And so, like my, my early sort of delivery as well was was very heavily based on the way that charlie brooker would deliver his stuff everything that i've done basically is, is a rip off of better things uh and you just keep <laughs> doing it again and again and again the big difference i think is with the friday features for example i just i just did it for so long and made so many of them that by the end of it i i just almost by accident come out with like a a way of speaking and a way of presenting them and a way of putting them together that I never really consciously decided upon or really had to work on that hard. It was just, if you look at the first one compared to the last one, even even the way I speak is is so weirdly different. And it, it was it was mm. never something that I made a conscious decision to do. It was just just how it happened. But that though that essence of playing with the source material in in my case video games but the butt of the joke was always me i never wanted the the butt of the joke to be the video games it was always intended to be a celebration of video games and video game culture i never wanted people laughing at video games i wanted people laughing at me or you know whatever skit or ridiculous joke i tried to pull together that was sort of like the goal for it um but talking of like you know i think you know that there's the phrase that the access community always enjoy and will quote back to me like the hello you've caught me that wasn't even mine i think john blythe did that in an oxm breakdown episode and i just i quite liked the sound of it i was like oh that's quite nice i'll try using that and for some reason it just <laughs> stuck so like i can't really take credit for anything that i've done because it's all just basically <laughs> been a rip off of what other people have done before better and funnier than what i did the only difference is i, I just did it for ages Whereas OXM Breakdown <laughs> is this beautiful thing that exists only in twelve episodes. It's like to me, it's like a, it's like the holy, the holy grail. Like if anyone's listening to this and you've enjoyed Access over the years, I implore you to look up OXM Breakdown on YouTube because it's just so funny, so good. It's everything that I wanted to make. I'm in one of them delivering a very oh, wooden you? line reading. Yeah. Oh, what, what one was that? Uh, I think it was one about E3 because the joke was. I represented like the common Nintendo fan right. and it would cut to me and I'd be, I think my line was, what about Nintendo? But the delivery of it is just awful. Like I managed to overact that one statement. It's t- really embarrassing. It's like Office UK versus Office US. One is like, you know, 12 episodes. The other one is... That's exactly. Just hundreds. One is way, way better than the other as well. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I loved I loved that stuff so much. So funny. I just and again with with all of the stuff I used to read in the magazines and that piece of advice I always remember getting back in that letter that I sent into PSM two. If you can write something that's as funny as the reviews you see in the magazine, will give you a job. And so always in my head, as I've been like, okay, I just want I just wanted to be funny like like that stuff was. Um, and so that was always like my goal: um, be funny and celebrate games basically that was that was you know that was the inspiration starting out mm, that makes sense I, I would like to sort of tee up the friday features a little bit more here Rob. yeah so this sounds dumb to explain something that literally tens of millions of people have watched but what what are the friday features and wh- where did the creation of that kind of come from so initially it was just well i say just list features they started out quite list featurey it would be you know seven best dogs in video games you just take a thing and you do the seven 
seven of those i don't know where the number seven came from either i just sort of i liked that number uh i liked i liked i thought odd numbers were just sounded a bit more appealing um Always. it was a little bit you know it was more than five less than ten uh, I <laughs> seven i'll do seven um and so initially it was you know we'd do things like seven hardest bosses seven hardest platinums and we'd go through titles like that and, and initially the plan was okay we need something we need a regular pillar of content that goes live at the same time every week like the goal was to basically create like a, a subscriber driving machine that would just have as broad an appeal as possible include as many games as possible so it would appeal to fans of all genres it was going on an official playstation channel as well so you had to try and you know you had to try and appeal to like a very broad audience and so that was the original goal was just to make something that the audience they would know what time it went live they would know to come back to the channel at four o'clock in the afternoon every friday and they'd get one of these friday features and the, the goal was eventually there'd be so many of them and they'd all be in a playlist and they'd all link out to each other that this would just grow and grow and grow and grow and, and to be fair that's sort of what happened we just kept doing it for so long that you know like the, the i think the one with the most views has done like you know five million views or something crazy like the the old ones all sort of would link out to each other after you'd finished watching one youtube would immediately recommend another one to you and so you sort of you know you try and get viewers into that into that loop of binging them i guess and you know i I'd regularly get comments from people saying that you know i really enjoy binging your friday features i watched like 10 in a row um so that was the that was the goal um was to was to create something that would be like the subscriber engine room of the channel whilst nathan mm. dave did you know all of the other stuff like you know the games coverage and like the the weekly updates and we had like a podcast style show called access granted that went out on a monday that, that they made my job essentially all my job was was to sit there and write friday features edit friday features come up with the next one um <laughs> for maybe four or five years that was that was all my job was apart from you know you'd have a like a the break to go to e3 and to go to gamescom and, and egx and that kind of thing and occasionally i would you know go on the odd press trip or two but aside from that i, d I didn't have anything else to worry about it was great in a way because i could be fully focused and just fully in i had my head completely in on on this thing and um yeah like you know i, d I don't think it would be possible now with um you know all the all the various things that that i i have to sort of look after but you know it was like a it was a very focused time where i could just get my head down and you know, as soon as one was finished it was just you know straight on to the next one i can see how it's the the engine point is definitely relevant as someone who's watched you know sort of like uh probably had a similar experience of watching like five or six in a row this week just dialing them up and then <laughs> you go 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 i can see why that um that is a very effective um content mechanism so I, I suppose like do you remember the first one that properly exploded or or like did you remember a point where you realized it'd become a big deal um to your audience and that you know it was it was becoming this sort of like trademark of the channel basically yeah i don't think there was uh, it's sort of just you know the popularity just seemed to just grow and grow and grow and i remember i remember i i got you know maybe unhealthily obsessed with with tracking the numbers i remember i had like a figure in my head like a number of likes it, it needs to do in the first hour and if it doesn't hit that then it's a failure of an episode and that number just <laughs> kept increasing like initially i remember it remember being it, it was 400 like if it, if it gets 400 likes in the first hour then it's going to do well it's going to be a good one and that number just increased and increased and increased and at the at the i think at the at the peak it was like 
you'd be wanting 1500 likes in an hour and if it if it hadn't done that then you know oh it's not going to do very well this this episode and i would you know i'd I'd have a set number of views i'd wanted it to get before i woke up on saturday morning as well and that was that was the first thing i did when i woke up on a saturday morning was immediately get my phone see how many views the friday feature had done overnight and if it hadn't done the figure that i had in my head that was like my weekend ruined like i was just in a, a terrible mood um so i i'm probably unhealthily obsessed with with the numbers um but it, i think it, it, people have that like i i had exactly the same routine on xbox on which was like not a successful channel at all when i was running it and it was just like a really sad version of that because i remember our list features went up on sundays for some reason sunday evenings just when everyone loves to watch a fucking video on youtube <laughs> um, and uh it coincided with taking Catherine back to the train station because she'd come down at the weekends and so I'd drop her off at the train station and then when I left the train station that would have been like an hour has passed and I'd sort of uh, sort of gingerly bring up figures on my phone and be like oh it's done 500 in an hour that's good for us <laughs> you know like <laughs> maybe I won't get fired this week <laughs> uh, but yeah I think you know looking back i think i think that obsession was a little bit unhealthy like it, it, the, when i think about how bad a mood it would put me in if, if i didn't yeah. if the if the video hadn't got the numbers i wanted it to and you know i, I don't like to use this word lightly but it almost it becomes like an addiction you get yeah. addicted to the endorphin rush that you get from not just views but like comments saying oh i loved this bit i loved that bit and i you know if i if i'd done like a, a complicated skit or something i would I'd be scanning the comments looking for someone who'd mentioned the skit. Like, has someone noticed the skit? Did they like it? Did they think it was funny? Uh, and, you know, I, 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 I lived off that. Um, it was, you know, all my sort of my, my work satisfaction, my, my sense of self was so... I took it so much from this, this video series that I was making uh, that it would, it would literally make or break my mood. But to answer your question, Sam, I do remember one particular one, and I think it's the one that, to this day, is the one that's done over 5 million hits. It was, it was seven bosses we didn't want to kill. And I remember that being like a turning point because I think it was the first one where we tried some kind of angle with the title that wasn't obvious. It wasn't seven hardest bosses seven hardest platinum trophies it was like a little bit of an angle that wasn't just a list of things it was a list of things that also encouraged discussion around an experience and i think this is the turning point for the friday features where they went from being what i would consider just list features to what we then tried to make them which was a reflection of the video game playing experience we wanted almost like observational comedy in a way we wanted people to be able to watch them and recognize their own behavior and have that resonate and you'd see that in the comments people saying oh i i remember feeling exactly like this when i got to that bit again and yeah video games do do that don't they and that's what the friday features then what i tried to make them was was less about the games themselves and more about the experience the shared experience of, of playing a game and if i could dig something out of video games that everyone sort of knew but didn't articulate that was sort of like the golden ticket to a friday feature that would perform really well so we, we had things like you know seven awkward social situations only only gamers will understand then it would be like you know when you're playing a game and your in-laws are coming around and you're trying to save it and that that kind of thing so it's, it's less about 
listing things that are in games and more about then using those video games as a vehicle to talk about certain experiences but yeah that that boss one uh bosses we didn't want to kill like the headline entry was the boss from metal gear solid 3 like that sticks in my mind as the first time i can remember being sad at having won a boss fight like when you beat a boss Mm. in a video game it's like you're supposed to feel like yes yes i've done it i've beaten the boss but that was like you know harrowing that boss fight so so well constructed the sort of emotions it 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 prompted when when you when you pull the trigger and and finally end it and so yeah we did a list feature around that and it it really seemed to resonate to a degree that the rest of them hadn't yet and if i could if i could pinpoint one that was like a a turning point it it would be that one because that was like the transition Mm -hmm. from okay here's a list feature about i know dragons and dogs Here's a list feature about <laughs> what it what it feels like to play a video game, and it, you know it sounds a bit you know grand, I guess, but I really enjoyed trying to dig into that experience, I guess, and and they became. Yeah. I tried to make them more celebrations of video game culture rather than lists of things in games. That's really spot on. Like for, as like an outside observer and as someone who has tried to kind of break the 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 list you know market i guess on youtube when i was on xbox on and less so on rps i'd, I'd sort of given up by then it felt like by then the, the internet had moved beyond it's enough to just list seven objects yeah and it became about like emotional modifiers or the twit you know there was always a and the, it mm-hmm. was always seven things that it was the that and that was the really interesting bit and it's like much harder but you know more fun as well i think well we developed well i certainly did anyway like a an unspoken rivalry with outside xbox who i think are absolute masters of of those titles i remember um thinking and you know regularly we we would look at the videos they were making because we were channels of similar ages similar subscriber counts where they've sort of like rocketed off and, and and won the race eventually but we were always looking at what they were doing looking at the sort of titles they were making and they they had like a really good knack for and i remember always like i'd feel like damn why didn't i think of that one like it was right there like they, <laughs> they would come up with a title that you wouldn't necessarily think they were particularly seo friendly but the views they were getting were like massive absolutely massive and still to this day they, they perform really really yeah. well as well like they're so so good at doing it um i remember one specifically specifically that was like seven times we could have helped in games but oh no glass and what the heck is that title but of, but immediately as a game you're like oh shit yeah i know that exact thing where where just a thing happens but it happens behind glass and you can't do anything about it you just have to watch it happen and you're completely helpless like immediately if you've played enough games you know what they're talking about and it's that that sort of and again it's that sort of in, in that's that club and community feel that that thing that only gamers would know only gamers would know what that title is referring to but it captures it captures a thing so so well and they, they did this time after time after time after time like so so good at it um and so they would you know talking about those initial inspirations when i was started making the friday features it became you know it became like a friday list feature arms race between us and outside <laughs> xbox no idea if outside xbox ever gave a hoot about what we were doing um and also i want to make it clear i absolutely love all of the people on outside xbox i think they're great <laughs> having met them at various events they're all incredibly lovely people and, and deserve all of the success they've got uh, but i remember bitterly jealously looking at some of the titles they thought up for their videos and you feel you felt i always got the sense that 
the titles were swimming above my head and all i just had to i just had to grab them um and every time i saw a brilliant one that they'd done i'm like damn damn they've got it they've got it like i know i know specifically that thing why didn't why didn't i think about that thing but distilling it distilling it into a snappy title and then trying to find seven entries that fit that criteria and thank god for the website tv tropes by the way the amount of times that's helped me get through like a, a friday feature episode oh it yeah. was so it was so challenging to try and like hook into you know what's the thing like you'd we'd be there brainstorming titles for list features and and none of them were quite there none of them quite had the the and bit like the emotional modifier as you say matthew like the the bit that really is going to tip it from being like a fine list feature into something that people are really going to latch onto and resonate with and and want to watch yeah so that was that was always like the the thing i was obsessed with was trying to nail that title that was something i wanted to ask about as well rob so what is the secret to coming up with a good list subject or title you've done so many at this point but and obviously you think very hard about this because you are paying close attention to what other channels are doing do you have a thought process that got you there each week what was the what's your creative process there oh i'd like to say i had like a, a formula that i could follow and that i could do now but the the truth is that regularly it would be just me staring at a blank computer screen i mean it's, occasionally there would be something i would be playing or a discussion we'd have in the office that would that would just prompt a list feature title and it would just feel like it dropped out of the sky into our lap and like ah this is it this is the one but most of the time it was not like that and i remember my my morning commute used to be this is before i owned a car and i used to have to cycle from my house to chippenham train station which was about uh, a six mile cycle and then get the train to bristol and the amount of times i would come up with the the friday the next friday feature title whilst cycling from my house to chippenham train station was like you know you don't want to know that was the that was the place i did the majority of my thinking and i'm sad to say there was no real process behind it it was just like uh you'd get to the day where you had to you had to the front it has to be written today i have to have thought of the title before i finished this cycle ride mm. um and and some days and some titles we'd nail some some weren't as good the ones that you know absolutely banged maybe i could maybe 20 of them like i made i think 250 in the end maybe 20 of them i'd be like yes that was that was a really really good title but i think what i was just um talking about then in terms of trying to trying to get a title that digs into that unique experience of what it's like to play a game and have something that people who play games would recognize about as a thing that is unique to games that was always for me like the golden ticket to to a good title like something that speaks to people but something that you know if if my mum looked at it she'd be like well i don't know what that is i've never experienced you know the being helpless (laughs) behind a pane of glass while some horrific thing happens on the (laughs) other side like you know that doesn't mean anything to someone who doesn't play video games but there are things video games do that until you point them out you don't realize oh yeah that's a thing so i'm not just talking about like regular cliches like I can't even think of any, but you know, it, it's it's those things that you don't usually articulate, but when you do, you realise, oh yeah, that is a thing. That's what we try to get in there mm. every week, and so I think you know, having like a a good hook, but something that the audience can can see themselves in. Like really, we wanted the the Friday features to be a reflect. You know, we wanted people to see their own behaviour and recognise themselves in 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 these videos. So. Uh, a, a title that would achieve that was was always my goal um most of the time we we didn't get it perfect 
you know a few times i think we really nailed it but you know after that it was just you know make make the video as entertaining as possible make the action you know if the title isn't going to be perfect at least make sure the video is 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 warm and inviting and inclusive and is full of like sharp humor and something that people can feel good about themselves having watched it that's another goal we had was you know after someone's watched the friday feature we wanted we wanted them to feel good about themselves and also their their choice to play video games we wanted to make them feel good about being a gamer that was that was the thing mm. um so if we couldn't nail the title we always tried to nail that so as someone who's made like a lot of list features and tried to push into youtube myself you know some stuff about the friday features that like particularly resonates that i always kind of wanted to pick your brains over i think when people think of the friday features if they're familiar with them they've pretty got a very clear image of them you know like yeah. the camera angle the music the way you kind of carried yourself in them i'm like interested you know you talked about your inspirations but like how quickly that stuff emerged and you know, did you feel like you you nailed it straight away or, or was it more of a kind of gradual process? I think so. I think in terms of the camera angle, that was, you know, is that's just ripping off Charlie Brooker's screen wipe, yeah. basically. Like, <laughs> okay, man sitting down in his lounge watching TV. We tried to make the Friday feature look like man sitting down in his bedroom playing video games. We would have regularly mm. in the Friday features, I'd have a controller and, you know, secret i was never actually playing any games uh which (laughs) viewers may be shocked to hear um but you i was always just like looking off into space at an imaginary tv and pretending i was playing but that's that's the kind of feel we wanted that sort Mm. of um broom cupboard not too glitzy not too produced we didn't want it to look like a studio we wanted it to look like a gamer's bedroom and that was all sort of part of it and i i think probably that was that was the bit that we intended to do from the off and you know, I, I like to think that we we got that bit right and, and tried to make it feel like this this space that wasn't intimidating to come into is supposed to feel like a like a welcoming place to come into. It's like, welcome to my room where I, here's what I've been playing and thinking about this week. So, yeah, in terms of the music, I, we had like a, a few tracks, one track bit of licensed music called whipped butter 2 which (laughs) ended up being like the friday feature theme tune i guess if you like um had sort of like a an energetic almost sort of like clownish tone to it and we and, and it was important to make sure that the the music reflected the tone of the video and this is always a thing that i think is difficult when you're making like for example if i'm talking about a horror game in one of these Friday features, there's there's probably the temptation to stick like a horror track underneath it, but it was always important yeah, right. to me, like, no, you don't want the audience to be scared at this point in the video, unless you did, of course, but most of the time I wanted the audience to laugh. So the music I've always found, and I was really, I found it very helpful in terms of punctuating jokes as well. Like there were particular tracks that ended on particular beats that I found really just funny. Um, whenever there was like an in-office skit, I used a track called Sneaky Fingers, which had like a little... And it had like a lovely, satisfying beat where it ended on a particular little... And letting a moment hang on that beat would always... If I had a joke that I wanted to put in the end, I would make sure it fit to that bit of music because for some reason, stuff was just funnier after that little beat of music. Um, it's almost a cheat, like using using specific bits of music to achieve a tone and to punctuate jokes. And this is what I think is the, the main difference when it comes to writing for print and being funny in print 
where you have you have none of it. You, you're completely dependent on your skill with words. Whereas when you mm. write for video, you have all of these get out of jail free cards that you can use. You can use visual punctuation, like like I said, the seven seconds of bars and tone that I'd regularly use to just break up the stuff. The certain musical tracks you can use. And, you know various other like tricks uh we had like obviously the the friday features would alternate between like a, an on sofa line uh and then they would go into gameplay covered by vo and just just that rhythmic back and forth between the camera and the vo would also give you sort of like a jet a get out of jail free card like if i was struggling to get from one section to the other it's very easy for me to just write in a line on where i'd be on the camera where you just you know you look at the, the screen and say or not or you know anything like a little bit of punctuation (laughs) (laughs) or just sometimes it was just a noise like i'd i'd try and make some kind of profound point in the vo for example and maybe i landed it maybe i didn't but if if afterwards i could write a bit where i go back to the sofa and i would just taken the mick out of myself for trying to write a a profound point sometimes it was just like you just make you know just a (laughs) blowing a raspberry into the camera immediately you've (laughs) that's your get out of jail free card that's like you know if you didn't find that profound it's fine because neither did i ha look i'm taking the mick out of myself and if you did find it profound great uh you've also got just a little enjoyable (laughs) bit on the sofa as well like there's there are loads of little things and cheats i used to do basically but yeah in, in terms of the music there was you know like a suite of tracks like i had a folder called friday feature music and you know the same tracks would get used week in week out and you get into a rhythm and you'd know if if one entry was of a particular energy that it, I'd, I'd need whipped butter five for that one because that's the <laughs> more upbeat track um so yeah that's 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 sort of like what we tried to achieve there with the music like um it made the videos funnier than the scripts were like if you saw a script for a friday feature you if it was in if it was printed in a magazine it would be absolute dross i expect right um but (laughs) with with the delivery that i tried to do with the music that you'd add with the with the editing hopefully the the idea was you'd get something that would be entertaining and funny matthew we need more music punctuating our jokes on this podcast i think that's what we're really missing i think we just need to sign up for whatever music library has whipped (laughs) i think they changed the name they changed the name in the end which i was very sad about i don't know what it's called Mm. now somewhere out there is a guy who's written whipped butter who's doesn't know that his track has had all this occasionally i'll hear these tracks on youtube videos that my daughter watches which is very disconcerting (laughs) she'll be like watching a video about you know some horse toys or you know (laughs) minecraft and and you'll hear what wait a second that's that's whipped butter too Yeah, going to a live concert to hear uh, Whipped Butters 1 through 5, you know, just... The symphony, yeah. yeah. Last night of the proms, that's the Whipped Butter prom. <laughs> oh, dear. Um, I also want to ask about, like, in-jokes and lore. Friday Features are, like, very famous for returning characters and weird alternate personas. You know, the most famous one of all is Delson Rodent, yeah. who, for people who don't know, is a puppet of... it. it wait, it's a badger puppet yeah. that wears... It wears it wears the outfit from the limited edition of Infamous Second Son, which just so happened to perfectly fit this badger puppet. And the main character is Delsin right. Rowe, um, hence the pun, Delsin Rodent. Yes. Even though badgers yes. aren't rodents, I know. The right. amount of YouTube comments that I've seen, actually, do you know badgers? It doesn't make sense, this pun. Anyway, I just wanted to yes, get that off my chest. Yes, no, that's... <laughs> Thank you for the clarification. <laughs> um, Delsin Rodent, who, like, as far as like in jokes go 
you know, he's probably like the, the fifth member of Access in yeah. terms of sort of fame and, and how easily recognised he is. So that stuff really reminds me of how we used to do things in mags with mm-hmm. like, you know, comedy personalities or like the personas of the other writers yeah. or mascots. Endgamer had a couple of shit mascots that never really took <laughs> off. Uh, one was called Ninja Cat. It was terrible. <laughs> do you think you were drawing on some of that magazine energy or like was it? particularly kind of conscious what you were doing with that or or was it just like organic it definitely was drawing on that that magazine energy i think and i remember i remember psm 2 had like it was i think it was the robot from forbidden planet that they had as like the robo mind or something and every month it would berate readers and you know call them (laughs) you know weak meat sacks and other things that a robot might call a human um so i enjoyed all of that stuff but i think the Again, it's, you know, it speaks to me watching other stuff, watching other people make stuff on video and thinking, oh, that's really good. How can I do something like that? Um, and I, I think we, we had a few recurring characters at the time, but I remember the thing that really made me sit up and take notice of, OK, you can do this with video games media was when Video Gamer made the Miller Report. And I think that was, again, almost like... I can't remember how many episodes there were, but there weren't very many. They had like this this mad arc of videos that were all like, almost like mockumentaries where they would go inside the video gamer office and they'd have all of the members of the team would have these exaggerated personas and it was almost like um it, almost like the office in in a way. So you had like um Steve Burns who was like the asshole deputy editor just shouting at people with a megaphone and it was just so so funny i remember just laughing so much at it i think jim trinker another person whose work i greatly admire and another person who i've never actually spoken to i don't think in real life his stuff on that was just really really good as well and they they did this mad thing where it was like combined with wrestling all of a sudden they'd just start doing wrestling moves on each other and there's this mad series uh loads of in jokes like video game industry in jokes as well so to really understand why it was so funny you had to not only know the games and know wrestling but also know about very specific uk games media journalism beef (laughs) Like, uh, you know, who hates each other amongst video games journalists and that kind of thing. Uh, but they did this, they ended up doing this mad story where I think in the final episode, Steve Burns jumps out the window into a helicopter and flies away <laughs> laughing maniacally. Uh, and they're all doing wrestling moves on each other. And it got so, it was so outlandish. But I remember thinking, my God, like, how how mad, how mad to, to, to do something like this. This is, you know video about video games and they've got all of this sort of like character and personality and i think i think a lot of it would have been way too niche for for playstation access which has to you know we we don't want to be writing in jokes about video game journalists um but just <laughs> as an official playstation <laughs> no channel, uh, probably but, <laughs> but seeing but seeing what they were doing with like we've done skits before uh but seeing what they did with um just like those exaggerated office personalities I, mm. I really enjoyed and so as i'd done with like oxm breakdown and screen wipe and harry hill's tv burp and as i was doing with outside xbox's title formats like i was constantly looking at what other people were doing and seeing what was doing well and thinking ah you know any, any any time i saw anyone else doing something brilliant it just annoyed me because i had like that like a 
almost like a competitive edge where I was like, no, I want I want my thing to be the best and the funniest and have the best titles and do the most views. Um, and so I, you know, inspired by that Miller Report type stuff, um, uh, quite a lot of those personas, you know, those weird personas. And sometimes they were exaggerated versions of ourselves and sometimes they were actual characters like... You know, my my favorite one that I played was a guy called Jimmy Spoiler who just goes around spoiling stuff for everybody. Um, <laughs> the first skit he appeared in was probably one of my favorite ones we ever did. It's a very simple one. It's just me as Jimmy Spoiler and Dave sitting in a pub. And I ask him, oh, so, you know, are you enjoying Red Dead Redemption then? And he's just like, yeah, but I haven't finished it yet. So make sure you don't apps, don't say anything about the ending of the game. Don't hear anything about it at all, blah, 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 blah. And, you know, I had a little sip of my my cider that i had as my prop um and then just blurted out what happened at the end and then you know dave does like a gasping reaction and it immediately cuts to a bit of music and again it was just you know something very simple but with with music i you know i still think it's really funny one of the one of the skits that actually made me laugh and so we'd have like these these personas come out of it and then yeah delsim was delsim was like in response to we were planning some content around i think it was playstation's 25th anniversary and we were thinking of video ideas that could be cool to celebrate the 25th anniversary of PlayStation. And one idea we had was to do an unboxing of the original PlayStation, but to make it like a, make it feel like a video from the 90s, almost like it was right. something that had been unearthed from 1994, this an unboxing. So we wanted to have us dressed in 90s style clothes, put a filter on the video so it looked like something from the 90s and one of the things that we thought of when we thought 90s was, well, puppet sidekicks. Like, we were thinking of, like, you know, Otis the Aardvark oh. and, and that kind of thing. Gordon the Gopher. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and so uh, that video never actually got made in the end, but that idea of having a puppet sidekick sort of stuck in our heads and... We were like, uh, just one Friday feature. I was like, oh, let's just, let's just try the, the puppet sidekick. Uh, and Nath brought in his child's badger puppet. We dressed him in the jacket from the infamous Second Son Collector's Edition. He became <laughs> Delsin Rodent. Uh, and immediately the comments were just like, oh my God, I love the Badger. The Badger's got to be in every week. The Badger's got to be in every week. And so started the the journey of Delsin Rodent being in every single Friday feature from then on to the point where I got so sick of him where we did like a, a whole an incredibly convoluted skit probably the most convoluted skit we have, we've ever done where we had all of the Friday feature side characters many of which were played by so like Dave played two characters in this scene and I played two characters in this scene and Nath played Brian Cox for some reason we had Professor Brian Cox which Nath does a quite a good impression of as one of the side characters um, so we had five characters played by three people all in the same scene called together into an emergency meeting because the badger had left the channel like and this lasted like two minutes and you know uh, the fact that <laughs> the fact that PlayStation are like cool with us doing this kind of stuff I think speaks to the the relationship we have with them like the the stuff they're prepared to be like okay <laughs> this isn't about any yeah. of our games is it but you know okay um <laughs> and uh it was, you know, it's ridiculous when you watch it but like really really fun to do um it was, those were always the days where i really enjoyed coming into the office and had, had thought up a skit and had, had written the script for it and was was filming it like you know we'd, we'd have a lot of fun doing it but yeah Del mm. delsin delsin was nominated for a golden joystick 
2015, he was nominated for Gaming Personality of the Year alongside PewDiePie. We've never been nominated for a golden joystick. So that badger really took on like a, like a life of his own. Um, yeah. Culminating, obviously, in the most ridiculous video we've ever made, which was a, a half an hour long avengers infinity war style siege of the access office by delsin and an army of puppets because he (laughs) was so disgusted at being left off the channel um the original cut of it was 20 was was half an hour long um (laughs) it was wasn't about games at all uh and so eventually i think i think the, the final compromise was it was down to about 20 minutes and we weaved like a traditional list feature into it so there was some there was some game stuff in there but you know mad like an absolutely mad video to to think of putting on an, an official playstation channel but you know there's there was one scene that didn't make the cut that had jimmy spoiler in it that oh, I, I sort of like you know i'm sad about to this day because i really loved it but but looking back on it like the exchanges of emails i was having where i was arguing my case no the jimmy spoiler scene has to be in it because it's crucial because then we can't get from there to there and like you know i got so <laughs> impassioned about it you know m- m- mad stuff <laughs> especially when you talk about it out loud like oh, how did we yeah. how did we ever you know this is an official playstation channel why, why are we making a half hour video about badges and like uh other puppets fighting us is that the most work you've ever done for a for a dumb video gag oh yeah for sure like i remember one scene was like a mission impossible style scene where the puppets had to hack rosie's computer like they had a password to get upstairs and they had to get it off rosie's computer and to do that they had, they tied up one of them and had him coming down from the ceiling like tom cruise style and i remember literally for two hours i was there with a camera with a string with a puppet on the end of it just moving this puppet up and down and up and down and it would come into shot and it would be like rotating the wrong way and it wasn't at quite the right angle and i remember thinking like what the heck am i doing just for two solid hours just recording Pulling this string up, slowly lowering this puppet into the shot. Yeah, like in the amount of time we're just on our hands and knees with our with the the ridiculous things we had to do, like standing puppets in the background of a shot. They couldn't stand by themselves, so we had to put like coke bottles underneath them all to like stand them up in the in the background <laughs> of these shots. You know, ridiculous, <laughs> ridiculous. But you know, a lot of fun to make when I look back on it now. The ridiculous things we were doing. But yeah, I, yeah, I love that video. I love that video. Uh, <laughs> But it's definitely not something we would make now. Yeah, no, it's great. I love, I love demented stuff like that. <laughs> um, you know, you said you, you know, you did these for like, you know, four or five years. Once you'd actually like settled into that list feature format, like, what was your actual working routine like then? Was every week like exactly the same? Pretty much, yeah. Like i i had a I had a writing day, which was Tuesday, and I worked from home on the Tuesday, and the, and the goal was the script just has to be written on the tuesday uh and sometimes i would i would finish it within like good time mostly i would not because i'm a terrible procrastinator and either inspiration wouldn't strike or i'd just be sitting in front of the computer screen not writing so regularly i would just you know finish quite late at night um but every tuesday was writing day then wednesday was the recording day where we'd do the sofa bits and any sort of uh, additional skits that needed doing 
and then Thursday and Friday was was editing day. Friday mm-hmm. would go across. We'd make them. We try and make them a week in advance, um, so that we were never going, you know, really close to the wire and giving us a little bit of a buffer on the following Monday as well. And then typically Monday would be like brainstorm day to try and think of the next one. But it was mm-hmm. it was pretty much my job, and that was all all I had to worry about was the Friday feature. So Monday would be thinking of one. Tuesday would be writing it. Wednesday filming it. Thursday Friday editing it. And it that was that was pretty much the routine um for oh, for four or five years great, i mean honest. it sort of, it <laughs> sounds sort like... of was yeah like i remember at the yeah. time thinking man like how long am i going to be doing this for but now i mean there are, there are other parts of my job now that i enjoy and i enjoy the challenge of some of the stuff i have to do now and my job is certainly more varied but a part of me definitely misses that concentrated and just the fact that i could be head down headphones on don't have to worry about in being interrupted don't have to worry about answering emails or anyone asking me questions about anything just you know you sit there write it then you sit there and edit it um and that's you know that's sort of what i did for about four or five years i'm trying to think of the best way of asking this question without it making me sound sort of sort of sad and tragic but uh, um i'm kind of curious like what it's like having the thing that everyone wants you know in terms of you having a really successful video series that's why it sounds a bit tragic what's it like to be successful rob that's the energy of this question you know when you're in you know the depths of that and and, you know you've got videos that are doing like a million views say did you find that like purely positive and motivating or was there like stress baked into that like the fear of having to kind of keep that momentum going I think a little bit of the fear and the stress of having to keep it going, yeah, but I think almost overwhelmingly it was a positive thing uh, mm. and something that, you know, it's it's easy to be motivated when the thing you're working on is, is doing really well. And like, you know, yeah. in my wildest dreams, I could not have imagined the amount of people that would watch these Friday features. And yeah, it, it's a, it's a, it's an amazingly flattering feeling uh, when you when you put it live on a Friday and you see comments of people being like, oh, yeah, this is the highlight of my week. I love this time on a Friday. This is great. Yeah. And, you know, it's as I mentioned before, like so much of my sense of self-worth became attached to this video. Um, mm. the, by the end of them, like I was I was pouring so much of myself into them as well in terms of like they they almost by the end of it had become uh a, a journal of my own video game life really uh and it's right. it, the, the tone of them shifted towards the end from i still always tried to make them as funny as possible but there were quite a few episodes that i did towards the end of it that were not intended to be funny at all and were actually i wanted them to be quite heartfelt and honest and vulnerable and Everyone's like, bring back the badger. <laughs> yeah. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but it was, you know, it sounds cheesy to say, but it was almost like a form of therapy in a way for me because I've, I've never been particularly right. good about, uh, I've never been particularly good at communicating about myself or expressing my own feelings. I'm not a particularly good talker or communicator like that. And all of a sudden I, I had this platform where hundreds of thousands of people were, listening and and watching every week and i didn't really have anyone telling me what to do or what not to do it was like a this amazingly liberating feeling where i could just pretty much write about what i wanted to write about in these in these spaces and like yeah it it became you know and now that i'm not doing it is is a thing that i sort of miss quite a lot like uh, i i don't have that i don't have that outlet now 
to to do that and i think you know those four or five years i think they're over now it's sort of like a like a lightning in a bottle moment um Mm. like an amazing thing that happened that yeah it did make me feel amazing i guess as it would like you know you Mm. go to egx and and people come up to you and, and say that your that your work meant a lot to them like it's never anything less than an incredibly humbling thing to have someone come and say to you. And I think, you know, if if the me that wrote that letter into PSM2 when I was 18 could have seen that, like, you know, I would have been, like, bowled over by it. So, mm. yeah, it, looking back on it, it was, you know... Uh, th- there were stresses, obviously, when I was doing it. I, you know, I, I obviously worried about, you know, how long can I keep doing this for and... And it, the, the the comments weren't over, you know, weren't one hundred percent positive. Like uh, you know, I get some criticism in there from about you know, using the same games, not using a massive variety of games, repeating <laughs> repeating formulas. Like you know, regularly the comment would be, "If you run out, of, you sounds like you're running out of ideas a little bit." And, oh, and sometimes yeah, we it, we get out on this podcast. Well, my well, my opinion is like every time you have an idea, you've by definition just run out of ideas, right? like yeah. i've just had my idea that means i've run out of ideas until i have another idea next week <laughs> yeah. um so no you, no one ever runs out of ideas but there was sort of that sense that you know how how long can this how long can this go on for and i think if i'm being really honest we probably should i probably should have stopped making them about two years before i actually did um because because by the end they were probably getting a bit self-indulgent and i think i'd lost that sort of spark that they had in that period where we were trying to really resonate with people watching them and, and hold up a, a mm. mirror to their own experiences. And they, you know, they, they were about 10 to 12 minutes every week. And by the end they were, you know, about 15 to 18 minutes. They were getting, getting a bit long and waffly and, you know, mm. they, they, they outstayed their welcome, I think towards the end. Um, <laughs> but you know, it's, it's something I I do miss doing, and you certainly I miss that sort of that thrill of waking up on a on a Saturday morning and and seeing the amount of views they'd done, and you know, yeah, it's impossible not to not to sort of get a little bit hooked on that feeling. I think, um, mm. but yeah, there are there are certainly I guess drawbacks to it after after it's finished. Yeah, no, it's really interesting. Um, that's what Sam sometimes says after questions. <laughs> <laughs> I say that after every single fucking question and I have to cut it out in the edit afterwards. It's so embarrassing. I'm like, oh, I'm no fucking parky, that's for damn sure. So uh Well my thing is always my thing is always, oh awesome. Awesome. Like awesome. it doesn't matter <laughs> yeah. who I'm speaking to. It could be you know Yeah, right. Yeah. Oh, awesome. Yep. That's, they could have made yes. a point that's really, really like, you know, harrowing. Oh awesome. <laughs> <laughs> You know, you mentioned there people coming up to you at EJX and things. The lists definitely made you YouTube famous in terms of like the size of audience you had. I am interested, like, does that translate into sort of quote unquote real life fame, or is it kind of quite contained to the platform? It's it's mostly almost overwhelmingly very contained to the platform. I yeah. think, um, like, you go to E3 or EGX and you you'll get recognized and people come up to talk to you and that's you know that's it's never been anything other than a novelty for me and i always love when that happens um very very occasionally i'll get recognized in the real world um 
randomly there always seems to be like a re- it's never just in the street it's always somewhere really weird like the um, i was recognized on a on a dolphin watching trip in croatia by a german <laughs> tourist right right at the start of the trip uh, the tour guide was speaking to everyone in german and then asked does anyone need me to speak in english and me and my family were like yes yeah, sorry sorry yeah we're english speakers um <laughs> And I saw this guy sort of look at me and like do a double take. And I was like, oh, no. Uh, <laughs> he came over um, and he was like, are you, are you Rob from PlayStation Access? I, yes, yes, I am. Um, and then I was just trapped on this boat with this man for, for two hours as we went around watching dolphins together. Um, and then the, the weirdest one, though, was my wife and I were in the car park of KFC in Trowbridge having just got our <laughs> Philip Burger meals. Uh, and we went back to eat them in the car, as you do. And all of a sudden, we were in the car, the doors were closed, and this kid just opened the car door. And I was just there, like, with a face full of chicken burger. And he was like, are you, are you Rob from PlayStation Access? And I was sort of like, I couldn't believe what had happened. I couldn't believe someone had just come up and opened my car door. Um, and I had, a, you know, a whole wedge of chicken burger in my mouth so i sort of was like yeah 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 uh and i didn't really say too much else to him and he was just like oh cool oh, i really like your videos then he shut the car door and walked away and then my wife told me <laughs> off for being rude to him which i i thought was like you know that isn't rude. i didn't think it was rude it's like why do you say why why were you so short with that with that man uh, i was like what I had I had a mouthful of chicken burger and I was in my car. And I'm in my um, I'm in the private space so of my car. I would love it. I'd have said, "Here's seven reasons you should fuck off." <laughs> I would um, I would love it if if I was recognised in the street. That would be that would be fine and great. But yeah, re- re- someone coming up to my car and, and doing that was was a little bit weird. But no, to answer your question, it. it, it almost overwhelmingly doesn't spill over into real life and i'm i'm free to go about the big shop in morrison's every week and you know (laughs) do all do all that kind of stuff with you know the majority of people will only recognize me at at like a video game convention stuff so it's definitely very contained oh that's good Mm. and I, i guess um can you like do you still enjoy a list feature or are you just are you just sick of them are you just sick of the format um I think well, I, I I like good videos. I like good stuff, and I think I think there are list features, and then there are list features. Uh, yeah, there are some right. list features that, are, you know, and you know, there's nothing wrong with that. But their their goal is definitely let's let's get the best title. Let's make the you know, it's, it's an SEO exercise. Yeah. And then there are list features, uh, and and other YouTube. I guess the, I'll sort of shift the question to: Do I still enjoy videos about video games? And the answer is like absolutely yes, like really good ones. I think a recent example of someone who I was bitterly jealous of how good their videos were was um, Brian David Gilbert on Polygon. All right, uh, yeah, so good, so funny. The just the, what he was doing with that, and by that time it was too late for me to. <laughs> the Friday features were already coming to an end, so unlike outside Xbox and Video Gamer and OXM Breakdown. It was too late for me to start assimilating stuff from from that, um, right. and I don't think I'd have been able to, to be honest, because what he was making was so so good and funny. Like he made a video about um, he made a video called the Hideo Kojima Name Generator, where he crafted like a D and D style dice rolling system 
complete with a set of questions that you had to go to and, and some roles that you had to do to determine what your Hideo Kojima name would be. And it was an amazing format whilst also being a brilliant commentary on the mad names that Kojima gives his characters in games. Like, it's so, so mm. funny, so well observed. And you could download the actual PDF of this thing that he'd made and and roll your own Kojima name. And the comments was just full of, like, that level of... That's what you're looking for, is that amazing level of engagement. We've, we've done something really well observed, brilliantly written, so funny. Like, his delivery, spot on. And he made this thing that was so engaging... Obviously, when you watch that, the first thing you want to do is is download the thing, roll the dice yourself, and comment with what your Hideo Kojima name is. Like, mm. I was so like bewildered by how good that was. I just sort of like I remember watching that just with like, I can't really do anything other than just really enjoy this. To be honest, because it's so it's so oh, so I, good. Um, I, I'm too jealous. I can't I can't enjoy this stuff. <laughs> um, like yeah. when I was struggling on RPS to get anyone to watch anything and have people go, oh, this guy's good. As if that was like a useful <laughs> guidance at all. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's also like an incredibly singular talent. Yeah. So like, unless you want to fucking hire him, you know. <laughs> but again, I think I think he stopped that series after 20, 25 episodes or so. Again, it, yeah. to me, I, I love... I love, I you know, again, I think the Friday features should have stopped way sooner than they than they did. And maybe then, maybe then they could be seen as this, you know, this collection <laughs> of stuff that has like real sort of value and quality, like 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 I think of the OXM breakdown and and Brian David Gilbert stuff. But yeah, I I still, you know, uh, obviously video game magazines aren't aren't the thing they used to be. I still enjoy really good, really funny, really creative games media coverage. Um, mm. sort of those days of like obsessively reading games mags over and over again cover to cover in my bedroom at night there you know there those days are gone I, I i do i do really enjoy like a really well-crafted video yes absolutely oh well, that's good mm. have you heard games court Rob? Has, uh, <laughs> have you been, have you been uh, sort of like tainted with this as matthew discussed uh, I've, I've heard about it a little bit yes yeah i think that's the future of, um, of games <laughs> content honestly it's like i think i think we're second-hand game purchasers fictional judge <laughs> Yeah, well that's the kind of you know that's the kind of thing it. that you would that you would get in a mag right i love that kind of i remember i remember there was like a like a review scale in i think it was opm i think it was nick ellis who did i can remember him like wearing some ridiculous judge's costume um and consigning video games to execution by like ridiculous methods like being smashed to bits with a baseball bat or being run over by a bicycle and that kind of thing um but yeah i i love i love i love stuff like that like you know do, doing you know re- reviewing games or analyzing games but framing it in like a a really fun way that isn't just here are my opinions on this game like you know I, i've always loved that kind of stuff i i've been through the the cycle of struggling to enjoy list features actually and so um, it's nice to hear that they you're not you're not completely burned out on them like there were two lists recently of like the 100 best tv shows of all time and i didn't even read them and then when people <laughs> tweeted the top tens i was like oh, yeah whatever like, mad <laughs> like i just can't even i can't even engage with them anymore i think that's just um the sheer repetition i think does change your perspective on them a little bit but uh yeah, that's uh, that's maybe that's just me. I really wanted to to wrap this episode up with just a, a, a short little exercise and a fun nod to your your beloved number seven. Right. Um. I I wanted to ask what were the seven best games to make lists about or draw lists from. <laughs> you mentioned people would complain that you pull 
pull from like too small a pool or not this yeah. game again what 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 were your uh, maybe there aren't seven but like what were your absolute like gold standard you can always rely on these for for a good list yeah well i think i think the the first one is a quite obvious one to anyone who's watched any of the videos and that's metal gear solid or the the wider metal gear series uh we had a running in joke where dave had like a, a he kept a tally of how many times i'd mentioned it in a friday feature and we had to we had to refilm him filling in that tally multiple times because we'd we'd reach the end you know we'd film we'd film him going from like one to 40 for instance and then we realized oh we've run out of tally we have to we have to film and we have to film you again going from like 40 to 100 and then we ran out of that um so metal gear uh, i mean this could easily just descend into what are your seven favorite games but i think that the metal right. the metal gear series was so good for for these list features because when we were trying to when we were trying to make lists that were talking about video games in interesting ways or trying to dig into that experience of playing video games there's so much that metal gear does that is interesting and unique mm. and you know when you're talking you know you make a list feature you could do you know seven times video games have broken the fourth wall for instance immediately metal gear is going to be the series you look to in that or like i mentioned earlier like a boss fights randomly was like a, a, a topic we kept on coming back to again and again with the friday features because for some reason, people just really like watching list feature videos about bosses. And so we did loads of list features about bosses. Mm. Uh, Metal Gear, again, famous for having really memorable and iconic boss encounters. So mm. in addition to the fact that I just love the games, it was just ripe for, you know, you could you could easily put a Metal Gear game into anything. And by the end of it, I had to make a conscious effort to, to not just stick Metal Gear into things because of those comments that were like you just have you played any other games do you yeah, what if you only played metal gear and final fantasy you, you know perhaps quite right to to have that kind of criticism because i it was very easy to fall back on those were the game that's the game i, mm. I knew very very well another one that i overused <laughs> was uh <laughs> skyrim again the same as metal gear and i think this is going to be a common theme through all of these games just so much is in that game that you can you can talk about so many different aspects of it when you know you're talking about an open world or you're talking about uh npc behavior we did you know i did a list feature all about ways that you can annoy npcs and skyrim's npcs are so deliciously annoyable like you can <laughs> like, uh, and they're so you know they're so they're so funny to kill there are certain games with with npcs that i just think you know they're built in such a way that the game wants you to kill them like they're so <laughs> killing npcs in skyrim is just funny like it's so so funny and so <laughs> skyrim is just ripe for that kind of stuff it's it's a beautiful game it's a massive game it's obviously a game that resonates with millions of people and we're now on what is it, mm. the, the third generation of it being still like you know when you think of seminal open world fantasy role-playing games skyrim is still always going to be up there and so it was a game that i is is one of my all-time favorites yes but also a game that proved great inspiration for many a list feature final fantasy 7 is a game i've included but you could substitute any final fantasy in here uh any list feature where i wanted to talk about story or character or again boss fights or amazing visuals um like w w when the friday features became um a vehicle for me to talk about the experience of playing games I, f I felt like the actual games that were being included were were less important than the subject matter and so 
that's why I would regularly go back to the to the same pool of games that that resonated with me. And the, the idea was always that people w- would watch these videos and not necessarily be able to resonate with those particular games, but resonate with the experience I had had with the games and maybe replace a Final Fantasy or a Metal Gear or a Skyrim with with something they had played. As long as they sort of got that experience and, and got that that thing I was trying to communicate. For instance, like the, like the outside Xbox witnessing like a, a, a horrendous death behind a pane of glass. Like you could talk, mm. I could talk about that in Bioshock, for instance. Like I remember distinctly that scene where you first meet a big daddy and it like mauls some, or in Dead Space where you see the necromorphs for the first time behind glass and there's nothing you can do mm. about it. Um, loads of other examples of, of that happening in games that I probably have never played. So, you know, I, I always, the idea was that other people could, could, see those bits and not necessarily be feel excluded from the list if they hadn't played that game as long as they right, experienced right. that thing in another game that was that was mm, fine mm. um final fantasy again like a a game and a series a wider series that's just ripe for that kind of stuff the witcher 3 was another one that we used loads um right just you know another very obvious beautiful open world video game full of mini games and story choices so like any any video about choices which is also another popular topic choices or heroes or love interests it was so easy to dip into the witcher for that kind of thing dark souls i think probably one of the dark souls and again you can insert any of the from software or soulsborne titles in into this slot probably i would argue the most influential video game of the last i don't know when the last 10 to 15 years like the the impact that dark souls has had on video games is just so enormous like it's you know it's up there with like i think resident evil 4 in terms of how you can you can see it you can see dark souls dna in in so many games even games that aren't Mm souls-like games now the fact that souls-like is even a word you know we've got you've got (laughs) you've got a metroidvania you've got a roguelike and a roguelike you've got a souls-like it's a whole genre now uh and it's so the dna of it is baked so much into so many games now but all of the things that dark souls did like you know we'd make we'd make a video about you know seven nonsense things you try before playing the game for real for example and these would be things like trying to figure out whether fire will burn you trying to figure out if you take full damage from falling off a big height right. like dark souls is just absolute gold full of that kind of stuff because it's very easy to put mm. dark souls in there and be like oh yeah you did die or oh yeah of course you yeah. got lit on fire by walking into a bonfire of course you did and besides that also bosses being like a, a big thing for us the amount of times we made videos about bosses so bosses we didn't want to kill secret bosses that should have been left well alone seven most wtf bosses in video games the amount of dark souls or bloodborne bosses that i could easily put in there and it was almost inexhaustible like the list of bosses like uh, i tried never to repeat a boss in any of these videos in fact in that in that video that did you know the seven bosses we didn't want to kill i talked about the boss from metal gear solid 3 but another massive entry in that one was uh sif the the great wolf from dark souls like you know famously harrowing boss fight where you you learn the backstory of this wolf who's you know trying to protect its master and you know it makes you feel terrible for 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 killing him so yeah like the amount of friday features that would have dark souls or a souls like game in them were were huge towards the end as well when i when i talked about making 
lists that felt a little bit more personal to me and had a lot of myself and my own experience in them i you know i would i would tend to fall back on games like what remains of edith finch which is one of my favorite games of all time um yeah really short game only two hours long but like the the journey that game takes you on and you were asking earlier sam about you know games that still surprise you and i remember this as being a game that surprisingly surprised me because i felt like i felt like i was in a time of my life where you know i felt like i'd played it all i've seen it all like there's nothing video games can do that i haven't seen before now and then what remains of edith finch came along and for the entire two-hour runtime constantly did things i'd never seen in a game before so that was like you know golden as well fantastic fantastic game full of incredible storytelling and wonderful emotional moments that that you could you know i could fill in all these very sort of like self-indulgent list features with with and and use games like what remains of edith finch to really sort of dial down on that experience if i had to pick a seventh one i think i would probably go for journey for for similar reasons um right journey i think journey is my favorite game of the ps3 generation what remains of edith finch is my favorite game of the ps4 generation for quite similar reasons very short beautiful incredibly memorable i've only played it once but that playthrough is so it's so burnt into my memory it left such a lasting impression on me that i i just couldn't help but use it and and talk about it regularly in, in these in these videos uh so yeah that would be my seven which apart Ooh. from dark souls pretty closely resembles games that would all be in my personal top 10 i wouldn't put dark souls in there not because i don't think it's an amazing game just because i'm utterly hopeless at it and (laughs) i have absolutely no chance no hope of ever finishing that ever like the only souls like game i finished is bloodborne and i only finished that because other members of the access team dragged me through it cooperatively yeah very relatable from software yeah. experience there. Would, sorry matthew i would also say don't ever go back and listen to earlier episodes of this podcast because i'm pretty sure i um dismissively described journey as a bit d diddly d which is uh, <laughs> well no uh, it is <laughs> <laughs> it definitely is it's definitely you can definitely see it as as that but i remember i remember the impact it had on me when i first played it and i thought oh wow like what a, what a marriage of visuals and music and yeah I thought mm. it was fantastic, but absolutely, I could see why someone would describe it as a bit diddly d. <laughs> oh, amazing. Well, uh, thanks so much for that list, uh, Rob. It's, uh, it gives us a, a you know like a, a good snapshot of how you how you worked over the years, and really by including the entire Final Fantasy series, you've chucked in like yeah. another thirty yeah, odd exactly. games there. So uh, <laughs> yeah, that's plenty. Yeah. Okay. Well, this has been great. Yeah, well, I really, really, really enjoyed talking about this stuff. As someone who has, you know, is still making their way in video land awesome to hear your thoughts yeah it's nice hearing like your, your points of inspiration and things that drove you there are are quite trad you know like you know, say print media and charlie brooker and stuff like that these are all basically the same influences that i had working in games media but your path is completely different and yeah fascinating to hear about so thanks so much for your time Rob. Oh, really thank you so much it. for having me on i've really enjoyed sort of reminiscing and digging into all this stuff so yeah thank you awesome so where can people get you on social media Rob? uh so i'm on twitter or x i guess we should call it uh rob underscore pearson 86 and i think i think my instagram is the same as that as well and those those are the two places i mainly hang out on social media matthew where can people get you on social media at mr basil underscore pesto on x i'm samuel w roberts on x and also blue sky and the podcast back page pod on uh, x and also blue stop saying x matthew <laughs> and also blue sky 
<laughs> and uh, yeah, we'll be back next week with a new episode. Thanks so much, Rob. And uh, yeah, catch you later. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.